When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Hugo. Hugh. I've been waiting for you to show up. Where you been? Doesn't matter. I'm here now. Did you see a kid run by here with your ashes? My ashes are right there in that fire. When it burns out, you'll never see me again. Uh, what? You should get your friends. We're very close to the end, Hugo. As the clock ticks close to midnight And down the hatch begins to fade Before we can walk into the light We must choose a final candidate Kate's a mom so she's out And that rhymes with coming out And Hurley doesn't like his luck So he feels way too bad So it's all up to Jack To take on that final Jacob touch what did our friends die for? It's time to find out why Saeed and the Quans in the sub. Ooh, all blew up. Yeah, that's right, everybody. Lost is over, but we have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch podcast here on Post Show Recaps Talk in Season 6, Episode 16, What They Died For. And there you have it, folks. One last penultimate Bruce Springsteen for the road. I'm Josh Wiggler. Mike Bloom, how you doing? I am surprisingly emotional at a stupid Bruce <laughs> Springsteen parody. This feels I like, know. I don't know, man. It feels like that episode of The Office when they all sing a parody of Seasons of Love and Michael Scott gets really choked up and you're like, I don't know how to feel about this. It's a whole cocktail of emotions and I'm sipping it right now, Josh. The final Springsteen parody. And it was like a really... Sweet one. It was the polar opposite of Bomb and the Radzinski, and frankly, that's what we need after the candidate. I had uh, Growing Up by Bruce Springsteen on the mind uh, for the less than sweet reason that it rhymed with blowing up. Uh, <laughs> At least you weren't as explicit with that as you were in the song about what rhymes with coming out. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. so I, I couldn't quite get the lyrics there. But anyway, uh, one last Springsteen, penultimate Springsteen parody for The Road. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm getting a little verklempt myself here, Mike <gasps> Bloom, as we are talking about what they died for, the penultimate episode of Lost. I'll just say uh, for, uh, for the record, for posterity, for the 
the archival purposes, Mike, that if there are people out there who are listening to Down the Hatch 10 years from now after we've recorded the podcast or whatever From your it is, robot holograms that are, of course, now moving from podcast form in which the microphones have captured our visual forms just sitting in a chair talking. If you're watching our awkward frames talking to a microphone in the 2030s, welcome, future children. We are happy to have you. Yes, uh, Hatchlings 3000. Uh, <laughs> Down the Hatch 3000 is going to be dope, by the way. It's going to be really, oh, really, really cool. <laughs> it's going to be like, I don't know, I don't even know what it's going to be like. All right, Josh, uh, let's fire up the bleep blorps and yeah. talk about, uh, oh, wait, here come the aliens. They're they're stopping in for a trip. Hey, wasn't it weird? One spot a time and Lost existed in a world where aliens didn't just touch down and visit every five months or so to stop in and say hi. That's strange. Plays oddly in retrospect. So if you are listening to this podcast on your bleep blorps in the future uh, and you're looking and it was the candidate last week, 614, and now it's 616, uh, what they died for. We did a cross the sea at the start of the season. I assume you know that, but maybe you don't. You you aren't missing a podcast in your feed. We leapfrogged across the sea, uh, and now we are settling into the penultimate episode of Lost. And I will say, Mike, that this is a real testament to how I'm feeling about uh, the fact that the Lost rewatch is so close to the end of the line that I kind of wish that we also just did across the sea again this week, no, so we could no, extend. Never this say thing. that. Do not do not wish that <laughs> upon us, Josh. Just so we could extend it i'm not ready i'm not ready to let go i'm really uh, not i'm uh, really don't, not. don't say those words or an irate scotsman is gonna kick down your door and beat the snot maybe that's out what of I you need. Josh. maybe that's what no. we need maybe you and i need to get our asses kicked by shrekmond uh maybe that's what <laughs> needs to happen as we're yes, coming exactly to man let's just walk we'll walk into his swamp really tempt the dragon in that regard though that is a different character yeah it's odd this is so odd. I definitely, while watching this episode, was like, holy crap. Maybe it was Derwood Spinks making his triumphant return and telling us that we're, we're near the end. But, like, yeah, this is the, re- the, the final regular episode of Lost we are recapping. Because what comes after it is irregular, whether it be a climactic, monolith, megalith finale, or a 10-minute featurette. Uh, you know, what we're talking about hereafter is very different. So this is a farewell to arms uh, much like last week was a farewell to arms and legs and the body parts of Saeed, Sun, and Jin. So yeah, this is like this is our last normal ish recap. Um, normal is such a subjective term in the scope of this podcast. Considering, remember when like three minutes ago you very sincerely said for people listening to, to your bleep blorps yeah, out to there to tell us, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the last. This is the last normal ish podcast, and bleep blorps is a normal thing <laughs> for us. It might be for the people in the year three thousand. Like maybe we started it. It's you know, no, like, it's normal for us, Mike, as far as the shenanigans that we that we get into uh, on this podcast. But this is the last one that should, you know, clock in at a relatively reasonable hour for oh, us. Fam- famous last words, Josh. I, I I'm here for relatively reasonable. Listen, I'm I'm coming off of a four hour podcast I did with Rob Sesternito that was both one of the smartest and stupidest things I've done. Like I'm marathon trained, baby. Uh, yeah. I'm trying, you know, run all around the world doing my own tour to stod. 
Yeah. Uh, so we're, I don't know. I'm just feeling lots of feelings. It's a, it's a big episode of the show. It's, you know, Jack, uh, getting ready to fulfill his destiny. Uh, it's, you know, getting some explanation for, uh, why all these people have been brought here and what it is Jacob needs them to do next. We're going to get to say goodbye to a couple of main characters in Charles Whitmore and Zoe. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get to watch Ben get a traditional beatdown. Uh, We'll have to add that to our beatdown meter. I know. We'll One more feedback, for the road. Feedback to get into, ratings to do, MVPs, LVPs. I think, is this our final LVP, just to tip our hand a little bit for the end? Yeah, because I, I, I think it's not within the spirit of the end proper as an episode to give LVP points. I think if we do, it would probably all go to the smoke monster, right? And as much as we've been piling on the dude, uh, I don't want to necessarily, you know, completely bury him just by defaulting him with like a negative six points. He would just automatically get obliterated and that's no fun. So I think what we're doing is we're doing some extra MVP points next week. So this is the last time we're handing out LVPs. And for what it's worth, also, that would put him in range of mother. And unlike the way he ends up on no. the island, I don't want, want him no. near Alice and Janney anytime no, soon. we're not doing that. Yes. We're not doing so that. So th- that being said, though, Josh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. You and I talked all the way back during, I think, the Born to Run days, truly wondering, like, does Lost have a penultimate episode problem and look uh i I don't want to you know necessarily rank the penultimate episodes because who knows maybe somewhere in the future in the 3000s with the bleep blorps there might be a way to do that moving forward but what i will say is i think looking back on all six penultimate episodes i personally think there are two great ones two good ones and two not good ones. And ironically enough, I think they're bunched together in three odd pairs. I think that not so good ones is the ones we start out on in Born to Run and Three Minutes. I think we hit our apex in Greatest Hits and Cabin Fever. And then I would say that follow the leader from last season. And I would say setting up this episode, what they died for. I think it's a good episode. I think good, not great. I think much like Follow the Leader, it certainly more so plays up as sort of like a prologue to the end in a way, and that it really does feel like we're setting things up. But I think what you summed up a few minutes ago really summarizes my overall feelings about it, is I think I walk away from what they died for ultimately with a sense of catharsis. Yeah, uh, It feels like boxes are being checked, namely that Jacob gives at least a little bit of explanation as to his own purposes and what exactly is going on after we get the huge info dump, chronologically speaking, in Across the Sea. And we wipe two very poor quality parts of season six off the map uh, before we reach the season finale. Not to mention in the sideways universe, it feels like things are finally coming together. Happily Ever After kind of kicked it into another gear, but I feel like we finally put our foot on the gas pedal. We're like Desmond inexplicably driving into the harbor with all of these pieces finally <laughs> converging at this concert. So yeah. it feels like a necessary episode in, in many ways, and I think there are certainly things that we're going to pick at, but I would say, much like Follow the Leader to me, it is a solid episode of Lost to tee up the finale. Yeah, I think so as well. I think that there's some things in here that I really, really love. Uh, I, you know, now that we are losing characters, the storytelling is getting a little bit leaner, I think, here in What They Died For. And then I think for me, and I know not for everybody, it really um, it really crescendos in this beautiful way in the finale next week. Uh, and I think that this episode does a good job of setting that up. I think that this is a good part one uh, for... Uh, 
uh, if you want to look at it as a, a two, uh, you know, the, it's a two part finale. That's kind of a two and a half part finale in and of itself. So maybe this tacked on is sort of a three and a half part finale. <laughs> it's definitely it's the it's the opening course, right? It's the amuse bouche. Mm. Yeah, when does a Charlie Sheen show up when his face is not shown and then a piano falls on his head at the end, right? That's our that's our two and a half hour finale. That Charlie was wearing red shoes. <laughs> and he said something weird about drinking tiger blood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tiger blood don't change its stripes. Uh, <laughs> wow, some weird callbacks here. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, uh, for all the 3000s listeners out there, uh, <laughs> before Charlie Sheen reanimated himself uh, from after cryogenically freezing himself, he did make a big to-do for t- 2012 when he went a bit off the deep end. And that's what we're referencing. Yeah, obviously. Um but there's a lot to talk about in this one. I think that we we clearly have a little bit of giddy energy right now, so I expect a lot of that will come out coming out uh, in the podcast here. Uh, the the serious analysis is getting harder for me as this is becoming much more of an emotional process. So we'll see where this takes us. A couple of uh, housekeeping items off the top, of course. Down the hatch at pusherrecaps.com is our email address for feedback. It is also our email address for the 4.2 star rating system that we have recently renamed the 4.2 fish biscuits. We want your 4.2 fish biscuits. We want those not just for the end, but for any episode of Lost. Uh, and we'll explain why uh, once we're through the end and when we get to our new man in charge and season. Hey, 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 no, no, no don't worry about it. There's a purpose for it. Like, just, just sit there, listen to me. There'll be a reason why we want it later on. But bring that metal cup with you, folks. Folks, uh, you'll eventually drink from something. We we have plans for post down the hatch. I think just the early warning, January. I think Mike and I will finally take a break. <laughs> I think that we will actually try and live our lives a little break. bit. What is break? Yeah. I don't understand that word. We haven't missed. Uh, you know, we've. I don't think we've missed a week unless it's been announced. And if uh, there have been times where we've had to move away from the recap, we've always tried to have something to to take the place. Um, we do have design on what Down the Hatch is going to be at least in the immediate aftermath of the Season 6 rewatch, but I don't anticipate that that's going to start until uh, the very end of January slash very beginning of February. Um, so just to give you that programming, heads up that we're going to take January off, but we will come back in the new year with additional coverage of, I don't know, um, and your <laughs> 4.2 fish biscuits will be required for such a thing. So you'll have through the month of January to to get that stuff in but just want to make sure that that's really clear we want your scores for every episode of lost your votes matter uh in a very big way for what we are doing next uh so make sure you send them in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com the other thing that i want to make sure that everybody is aware of is obviously we've talked about it we do these lost live watches in the post show recaps patron discord which you can become a part of by being a patron of post show recaps at any level uh, at patreon.com slash post show recaps. It's been really fun to watch episodes of Lost with a robust audience uh, and have lots of really fun times. Uh, unlike, unlike the robot audience of the 3000s. Yes, uh, we're making jokes, we're making bleep bloops, we're doing all sorts of weird <laughs> shenanigans that sometimes inform the podcast, other times are just for the moment. Uh, we would love to have you in the moment with us as we are going to be watching the end, the season finale on December 20th, 
at 8 p.m. Eastern time in the Post Show Recaps Patron Discord. If you've been waiting to sign up, this is what you were waiting for. Patreon.com slash Post Show Recaps. You have to be in at at least that $5 level. Uh, if you are in at that $5 level, you will have access to the Post Show Recaps Patron Discord. You will be able to watch the series finale of Lost with myself, with Mike, and many of your fellow hatchlings. So we hope that that is incentive to join. We're really excited about this live watch. We've had a bunch of new people showing up who are uh, who are keen on getting in on all of that. And we want to make sure that that information is available to you. So again, uh, that is going to be December 20th, 8 p.m. Eastern time in the Poster Recaps Patron Discord. My apologies to all the listeners of Down the Hatch 3000 who were not able to join us from the future. Well, at that point, Discord has uh, become a monolith, like a living, breathing entity. So they are incredibly confused. They're like, Discord, that's the president of the United States. Why Why are we watching it with President Discord? I thought we couldn't even get past the Secret Service. Yeah, uh, so they're able to do it. They're, they've uh, infiltrated the obelisk, and the people <laughs> from the future are indeed RSVPing to watch uh, the episode yes, with us. I forgot that eventually the White House gets raised, and it's just one giant tower that is 3,000 feet high in honor of the year uh, that is now referred to as the obelisk in which President Discord resides above all. Yeah, so uh, it's really great to have uh, as as we call him, Disky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he likes Yeah, it's, it's, sort, it's sort of like how, uh, you know, President Eisenhower, we liked, we like Ike. Uh, you know, we're saying getting risky with Disky. Yeah. Oh, I always thought it was frisky with Disky. Oh, boy. Well, uh, he's catering to a new market. No wonder he won every single electoral vote. Uh, Another note uh, that I think is worth sharing now, uh, and I'm trying to find out where this was sourced from. Somebody had written in to us. uh, I will be able to, to, to find this eventually. A warning. Uh, that there is an edited version of the end, I believe, yes. on Hulu, Mike. Can you speak to this? Yes, so I am uh, the trademark dinky Hulu boy who watches Lost on Hulu. So there are three technically separate episodes of The End. Uh, They first did the version of The End that cuts it into two parts, which I would assume is sort of like the syndicated version of what they do with a lot of two-hour episodes. And so they cut The End, uh, season six, episodes 17 and 18 on Hulu, or I believe uh, two 43-minute episodes versions of the end uh that would total at about 86 minutes episode 19 is called the end parentheses uncut finale josh and i are jews but uncut in this case is the way that we like it <laughs> my god uh, so, michael so, Jeez. So, <laughs> wow come on <laughs> <laughs> so mike <laughs> there have to be limits <laughs> they really do have to be some <laughs> You're sick. You're sick. You have a problem. You have to be able to rein it in at certain points in your life. Mike. Come on, man. What have been the first 20 minutes of this? We're like, oh, this is the last normal episode of The Lost. Here's talk about bleep blorbs. Mike, President don't Discord. Say it again. Don't, don't, don't. Don't do it. All right. All I'm saying is. Episode 19 is the one you want to watch if you're a dinky Hulu person like I am. Uh, We're going to be covering the episode in totality because, yeah, 
syndicated versions, including, I believe, on the DVDs as well. If you watch them as separate episodes, the end part one and the end part two, uh, they cut out several scenes. And so we are going to be talking about it in toto. And so we want you to be able to watch everything as well. So please ignore the joke that I just made, much like Josh will try to. And watch episode 19 instead of episode 17 and 18 next week. You're sick. You're infected. <laughs> I don't feel that. Anything. You're infected. <laughs> <laughs> you should get that checked out, by the way. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> something procedurally went wrong. Um, all right. So that's the information. Uh, make sure you're watching the right episode of the end. You certainly will be if you join Mike and I for the live watch on December 20th we are gonna throw it to a commercial break here when we come back we shall go forth into the jungle to discuss the penultimate episode of lost stay tuned hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Mike. Let's do this. It's... What They Died For, directed by Paul Edwards. It's a Kitsis and Horowitz joint with a side order of Elizabeth Sarnoff. Uh, this is the only episode of Lost to be written by three writers, Mike. Is that true? Apparently, yeah. Uh, usually they have stopped it too. So now we have a sidecar to the sidecar. As you said, the penultimate episode of Lost. If it's the penultimate episode, does that? I'm sad that Boone doesn't make an appearance from that perspective. We know he loves to gather pens, yes. and so it's sad he doesn't show up until the next episode. God, this is so throwbacky. I'm loving this. Uh, it originally airs May 18th, 2010. Who does it center on? Hard to say. Basically, nobody. Kind of Ben. I kind of feel like almost sort of. Kind of, but, like, we also still get the stuff going on in the sideways that doesn't involve Ben. You know, I would say, I, you know what I'll say? Let me amend it. The first half of this episode is centered on Ben. Uh, after that, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, um, but it is a big ensemble piece, and I think that that is where we are in um, in the season now. And it is worth noting, before we go through, that, you know, you and I, we've, we already talked about this earlier in the podcast, but to talk about it now seriously, you know, we are at this point in in um in lost where uh we've lost saeed and jinn and son they are dead and then the following week we go into a completely different story 
mm-hmm. you know, tracking and, you know, uh, garnering some sympathy for the devil, as it were, and learning why John Loki is such a butthead and what made him that <laughs> way. Uh, and we've already talked about that episode. And the theory was at the time, I just want to live with my characters. Like, don't move me away from what just happened. And certainly don't try to humanize the person that just killed three of my favorite people on this show. Um, and so we've elected to make that procedure. <laughs> we made that cut uh, and uh, decided that that was what was right for the health of our podcast. Um, but the show does it differently, Mike. The official airing order of the show and the the canonical order of Lost by all other metrics other than ours uh, have across the sea playing right now. Um, we had some some feedback in this regard that I think is worth bringing in now um, from Ben Martell, the Ben behind the curtain, mm. who said, would Across the Sea have been received better if it had aired at literally any other point in season six? Mike, I wondered if you had any additional thoughts on this now. I know we didn't go back and watch Across the Sea or podcast about Across the Sea again, even though it would have been a lovely opportunity to just pile more LVP points on some mother. Um, do, you, do you have any additional thoughts on the move to get that out of here now and to skip straight from the candidate into continuing the story of the deaths of the Quans and Saeed vis-a-vis the remaining candidates? Oh, it's a good question. I mean, listen... As we've gone along in season six, I think your argument as to why it's good to start the season off with this, I think, uh, has just become further and further emboldened, not in terms of what it sets up, but also what it doesn't take away from where it was originally placed. The only other place I could reasonably think of it would be maybe like in between Recon and Abiturno. Perhaps I do wonder, you know, if we do this thing where we sort of tee up the motivations of Jacob and the man in black and then go into the guinea pig case of trying to use Richard Alpert for those exact purposes. Obviously, that is going to be better than the alternative of episode 15. I don't know if it works as good as if it was episode one. I sort of like this idea from a mythology perspective. We check in in the beginning, in the middle with Abiturno, and then sort of at the end here for what they died for. But right off the top of the noggin, if I could think of another place besides the beginning to put across the sea, maybe it's that. Because uh, I could see maybe the argument against across the sea in the beginning is... After Juliet smashes that bomb, you want to know what the hell happened, and maybe some of what the uh, the emotional turmoil we got from putting this in episode 15 might have been shunted off if this became the premiere of season 6, and people are like, where the hell are all the people that we like? Why are we starting on this? Sort of like a, a, the opening of The Leftover season 2, but extended across an entire episode. It's fine now, again, now that we sort of know the context of it. But if I could think another place to put it then besides the beginning, if we have to make L.A. SpaceX the beginning of season six. Yeah, my, my first instinct is to say between Recon and Apaterno, just to immediately tee up the stakes from the Richard Alpert episode. Um, yeah, so this was something that uh, the birthday king, Eric Divestein, had written in and said, uh, who was uh, famously, at least famously in our circle, against the move of Across the Sea and how that might impact um, Abiturno and some of the information we get in there. Eric wrote in and said, while there's great arguments for placing Across the Sea at the beginning or middle of the season, I do think that there's a decent argument for leaving it in some original spot as well, considering how well it sets up the scene with Jacob in what they died for. Um, so that's just one opinion to reflect here as far as you know, some final words on our choice to move across the sea out of its traditional spot. Um, Eric making the argument that getting that episode 
before we get this additional stuff of um, Jacob and, uh, you know, coming to the candidates and, you know, now you're like me and how that was set up in Across the Sea. Um, so just wanted to give voice to that. Mm. I, I still think I, I may have come around to the opinion of Across the Sea maybe just shouldn't be in the show. Um, and th- I don't, I don't mean that. I don't mean that in a deeply shady way. I really don't. I, I mean it in a straightforward. I think that maybe we don't need it. And I think that maybe the whole move would be to excise it. Um, I think that you get basically all of the information you need from elsewhere in the show. Um, so I don't know that it's absolutely necessary. I guess I have not reached full peace with across the sea, Mike. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think my overall sense of it is I don't disagree with Eric's choice. You know, I think I had forgotten how what they died for features a lot of stuff that was immediately set up in Across the Sea, right? Between not only just the ceremony, but like the way that Jacob's temperament is. I mean, as was talked about in that intro clip, uh, Jacob Derwood Spinks, the adult version, has not been around for quite some time. Like, we've seen Kid Jacob, but I want to say since, like, what, Lighthouse? He hasn't really played a major role. And so, you know, it, it maybe is a little jarring to have him disappear for 10 episodes and then finally pop up. And so maybe Across the Sea helps introduce that. But I also do feel like We've been talking a lot offline with the Hatchlings about season six in a binge compared to on a weekly. And I think the resounding argument, and we'll probably talk about this more in a couple of weeks when we wrap up the season, is that season six plays better on a binge. I think its sins are a little bit more forgiven when you can just kind of set it and forget it. And I think Across the Sea works especially well as the first episode in sort of like a 2021, not 3000s lens of the way that we consume media now. Yeah. Where maybe it's not necessarily done on the reg. I, the argument could be, to sort of Eric's point, like, it's too far back if we watched it 15 weeks ago. But if you're consuming it 15 hours ago, that feels a little different to me. And I feel like a lot of successors to Lost Westworld, for example, has now sort of introduced this idea of the Chekhov's gun of it all, right? Like setting up these these sort of ubiquitous, enigmatic ideas in the first episode or in the early stages of a season, and then they come to fruition later on. I actually think that putting Across the Sea first very much fits with more of a modern-day time frame than putting across the sea where it wasn't in its original airing order which i think is more conducive to that weekly airing of okay this makes sense now that they're doing this given what we just saw last week yeah all right so let's get into what they died for because that is what we are here for and it begins in the sideways uh jack he wakes up he's got a a cut on his neck huh Yeah, just like he did on the plane. Uh, Jack, you know, he's showing surprise, but I would say not as much surprise as if I woke up and I was bleeding. Uh, I would have several questions about my nighttime activities and if uh, I should be, you know, uh, perhaps not abusing as many, uh, you know, pills uh, as as I do uh, when I end up going to bed. But Jack seems to be like, okay with it maybe he's just intrigued by the david breakfast of it all that he just sort of gives it no mind and walks away yeah david has made breakfast it's a box of cereal it is specifically a box of what is it oh super bran is the uh the let's potato chips of the sideways universe they're not it's not raisin bran it's super bran 
Wow. Uh, okay. Uh, now I'm just imagining that this is somehow forecasting some Game of Thrones hijinks, but... Uh, oh, no. Oh, I thought it was, uh, this is the sideways version of Bram, the infamous season five, season six character. He lives on in the cereal box. Oh, yeah. Listen, I'm here for Super Bram, uh, that in his <laughs> sideways that he's, I'm a superhero. Yeah, I'm indestructible. Nothing can yeah, stop exactly. me. And now there's a cereal about me. And so everyone's like, you know, Locke comes in like, Jack, you can't cure me. You're not a superhero like Bram. Yeah, like Super <laughs> The Bram. only canonical superhero in the slideways. Of all of the characters on Lost to decide would go out there and be a full-on superhero. And granted, there's lots of superpowers to, to chronicle here on Lost from Desmond's ability to sometimes see the future, to Hurley speaking with the dead, to Miles hearing the dead. Uh, we have decided that it is Bram who is the canonical superhero of every character that we could possibly have. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what his power set would be. You know, Brad William Henneke is sort of a bear-like figure. Maybe it is a Beastmaster thing where he can turn into a bear at any point in time. I'm not sure how viable that power set is, but I guess it's better than nothing. Better than nothing. Um, so technically, making a box of cereal isn't making... Opening a box of cereal isn't making breakfast. I think making a box of cereal could be uh, making breakfast. Um, there's this performance tonight... Uh, they're all going to that. Claire joins the table to eat some super bran. Um, this is cute to see the three shepherds here at the table. <laughs> oh, the three shepherds. That should have been a name of a lost cover band yeah. back in the, the zenith of the show. Yeah, and I think, you know, Claire is sort of in this weird kind of, she walks in kind of semi-awkwardly of like, all right, this is still kind of weird for all of us. I'm going to assume this is probably the morning after he extended the offer to her, right, to come stay with her uh, and stay with him. And so she sort of is like, yeah, this is still a little odd, but I'm still acknowledging that this is a nice situation. Uh, David just continuing his streak as like the number one guy in the Flash sideways. Maybe he could be super brand sidekick in that regard. Just like doling out the bowls, you know, talking to Jack, saying like, hey, mom's going to be there. Don't get weird. This dude is just man. It makes so much sense as to why we should have seen in retrospect, Josh, that he was, of course, a fabrication of an alternate universe, because this dude just seems way too perfect after the events of Lighthouse. So Jack gets a phone call. Hey, it's uh, Oceanic Airlines. <laughs> your dad, we've, you know how your dad's missing? Well, we found them. My name's, t- <laughs> my name's Tall, Tall the TSA agent. Tall? <laughs> I'm really tall. <laughs> yeah, they call me Tall. <laughs> tall, I'm seven f- tall Hollywood. <laughs> I'm s- yeah, exactly. Hey, I'll give you a handshake once you get your dad's body back. Yeah, I'll be happy to. It would be my absolute pleasure. Tall Hollywood. You know the drill, man. Uh, Tall Hollywood, the TSA agent calling from Oceanic Airlines to tell you we found you. We, we found, okay, you missing cargo. We found your father. And Jack goes, oh, well, that's great. Really nice to meet you, Tall. Nice to meet you as well. And then he hangs with the phone and it's Desmond. Desmond, who's just, <laughs> Desmond, who's just like, yeah, so uh, we found your father. It's, he just does a one octave lower voice. It's so funny to me. This is like when Kevin McAllister calls the cops. 
and uh, when the when the wet bandits at the time before they're the sticky bandits are getting closer and closer to his room, and he's about to zip line to the treehouse, and he calls the cops and says, uh, "My name is Murphy." He does this deep voice so as not to sound like a kid for whatever reason, and then hangs up and then zip lines out of there. I don't know why Desmond is doing the Kevin McAllister Murphy voice here, but it kills me. I think it is so funny. Are you implying that Desmond talk boys Jack right now? That he like records his voice no, this isn't and plays even a it back talk super slow? Thing. It's not even this, Kevin McAllister does that all on his own in this one. He doesn't even need the talk boy yet. Uh, and by the way, in the future, uh, for the future hatchlings, the talk boy, it's kind of like your bleeble blorp. It's what we had back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I should note that poor people in the 3000s, you know, President Discord really outlawed any sort of creativity or individuality. So everything is either called a bleep blorp or a bleepin' blorp yeah. or a bleepity blorpity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't forget about the Habeldorps. Those were, those are rad. Good snack. <laughs> Oh, man, that's fantastic. It's too bad they're made out of people, but yeah. you know what? It's worth it for the deliciousness that it is. But yeah, I love this. Desmond's Desmond's strategy for getting everyone together, you know, it's going to be on the upswing, uh, maybe after he beats the crap out of Benjamin Linus, uh, but he continues his weirdness here. Of, let's, let's just review the list here, right? Like, tails Hurley to his chicken shop and tells him to just follow uh, a woman who he was not set up on a blind date with, runs over a man with his car, uh, creepily follows a woman and convinces her to, and sort of like corrals her into entering a lawyer's office where she runs into her half brother and now impersonating tall the TSA agent <laughs> to tell Jack that his father's corpse has been found. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's where uh, we're kicking things off and what they died for. After that, we return to Island time and get uh, some immediate fallout from uh, the destruction of the submarine and the deaths of their friends. Jack and Kate have something of a mirror image version of their first interaction in the entirety of this show. Let's listen in on sound number one. That's the best I could do. It's gonna hurt a bit. Well, it went straight through, but if I don't do this, it's gonna get infected. I'm sorry. June hadn't even married yet. Locke did this to them. We had to kill him, Jack. And then Jack is frozen in carbonite. Yeah. Uh, so they have to go and kill the smoke monster. But uh, if it was already a bit of a question as to how do you break the ice with the smoke monster, how do you kill the smoke monster is a question that they do not quite yet have the answer to, Mike. Yeah, but at least there is 
emotional resolve there. If anything, this is the beat that gets hammered a lot over the course of this episode, right? It's like, we've got to kill him. Well, we definitely have to kill him, uh, knowing that essentially that is going to be the first half of the finale next week, right? Is essentially their pursuit to kill John Loki. It is interesting because this was actually something that was written, and I forget by who, last week. Uh, you know, you and I are not huge fans of the way that the candidate ends, but it is noted how the ending of that episode mirrors a bit the ending of Do No Harm, which we should mention. Lost PD made a note that it is now exactly 100 episodes since Boone died. Wow. Uh, happy Boone Centennial in that regard. But it's an interesting setup where, you know, that episode ends with Jack having to solemnly bury Boone and then has this furious sort of, uh, you know, incredibly serious line about how he's going to kill John Locke. And now that happens in the reverse where Locke says, you know, now I'm going to kill Jack. But it comes back around like it always does in this case as the candidates are resolved. But even outside of that season one callback, obviously I think the season one to do in this scene, right, is the reversal of Jack stitching up Kate with a familiar black thread. Yes, uh, it is just a, you know, I, we stop short of the one, two, three, four, five. Uh, but it is it is a great moment that just shows how far they've come and how these two, through a lot of ups and downs, have been there for each other. You know, not maybe all the way down the line uh, and at every single moment in time, but they've lived a lot of life together. They've logged a lot of miles. Uh, maybe even in an airplane when Jack, uh, you know, he had his pilot license, right? You know, this mm. is something he talked about at the very start of the show. Maybe, you know, in their time off island, they did some flying around. So... It, something I realized when I was watching this scene, though, Josh, is we talk about character interactions that we feel like are a bit slighter or perhaps even missed out on due to just the pacing of season six. And it made me realize we get surprisingly little Jack and Kate on island sure. in season six. Uh, it, it, the more I think about it, it's, it's a little strange. And maybe that'll key into what we talk about next week, right? With the whole OTP stuff of I love you and their final kiss and everything. But just in retrospect, I guess I sort of Mandela affected myself that I had assumed that there would be a lot of Jack and Kate stuff in season six, considering it really sets up, you know, them as their, their soul mates in a re their regard. But Really, outside of this, I feel like we haven't had a Jack-Kate scene in quite some time, not since really the Temple days. Yeah, let's bring in some feedback early. This came our way from Kate H., uh, who wrote in and said, You've discussed that some that there's some season six pacing issues and missed opportunities. I'm tracking something that's bothered me on my initial uh, watch, and that's the lack of catharsis for Jack and Kate leading to their ending up together feeling a little arbitrary. These two have a really rocky season five, despite her ultimately supporting him in the Jughead plan when they're together during the temple period they do recapture a nice season one vibe but then they're separated for so long both on the island and in the sideways that we never really get that scene showing us that kate has forgiven him and is still in love with him her focus is on being there for the grief-stricken sawyer and looking for claire i think that sometime between everybody loves hugo and what they died for there needed to be one more jack and kate scene that focuses on where they stand emotionally the show instead relies on meaningful looks and other small moments to convey that kate has come to understand and accept who jack is now and through all of that she still loves him i kept waiting for a deeper conversation between the two of them particularly when he's stitching her up at the beginning of what they died for but it never comes um that is from kate h uh talking about kate a and i agree <laughs> yeah i think it's a really good point that 
maybe it's just this idea of a much bigger boxes to take and b maybe sort of like an assumption on the writer's part of like well jack and kate they've had so much together right that was like the first three seasons was a lot of jack and kate almost frustratingly so sometimes that maybe they felt like yeah they'll, they'll end up finding each other at the end of the day but it really is a thing that when you look back on it surprisingly few scenes between these two to the point where at least the first time I watched the finale, I remember when Jack and Kate have that final kiss on the rocks, I was like, where did that come from? I mean, I got where it came from, but like, where did it come from? These two have barely exchanged words since they came back to 2007. So I think let's add that to another thing that should be taken care of in a rewrite of season six is I know Kate's asking for at least one. I would want at least a couple of Jack Kate scenes, even if it's just check-ins, even if it's sort of like a reaffirmation of their number one, number two dynamic from season one. There is surprisingly little screen time that Matthew Fox and Evangeline Lilly share together in season six. And to Kate's point, maybe it's because Kate's doing her own thing. Jack's doing his own thing. But I don't know. It, it, it's something that I do feel like is a little emptier compared to what we would imagine it would be. Um, so after this scene, Mike, uh, I'm looking at our at our doc that we work off of, uh, and that is a Google doc, not a not an actual doctor <laughs> like Jack. Um, and you have a bonus sound that you have pulled this week because there's a deleted scene that I actually I don't think I've ever seen um, that you found today that you wanted to talk about and introduce to the podcast. Yeah, so what I will God, say is... that feels it, like the setup for a bit, and I don't believe this no, is a bit. No, it yeah, is not okay. a bit. It's not me playing, like, I don't know... <laughs> fart uh, noises Sch- or whatever. Yeah, fart, like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> yeah, fart right, noises no, or, no. or something like that. No, no, no. Uh, so... I would say that there are certain, I think, leaps from a plot perspective that this episode takes, uh, things that we, you know, don't necessarily see on screen that we have to make assumptions about. I would say two of them are John Loki is eventually going to stop off at the main island, but he is suspiciously without Claire, despite the fact that she is with him at the end of The Candidate. And also, uh, Sawyer, you know, the next day is just going to be him staring at a life jacket that washes up, assumingly from the sub. But we don't get any sort of reaction to, you know, him finally coming to, coming to, uh, and finding out what exactly happened to the Quans and Saeed. The good news for you, Hatchlings, is that there is indeed a scene that covers both. I'm assuming just for time reasons, uh, they had to cut them both out. But there is a scene that we're going to play now as a bonus sound. You know, it's our last proper episode, and we're also, spoiler alert, going to go a bit overboard with the sounds next week. So let's bloat it a little bit. This is a, you know, a sound number nine, I guess I would call it. I'm going to play a deleted scene from the season six DVD called Fatalities. And there are two scenes that i should talk about here they're both contained one of which is john loki and claire talking you know the next day after the candidate about the next steps of things the other one is sawyer finally coming to on the beach with hurley standing over him i'm going to assume this scene takes place at the same time as the one we just listened to so there might be some lulls and silence and i'll try to paint a visual picture when all is said and done but this should hopefully fill in some blanks as to what was going on with some of the other characters that will not be the the main parts of this episode. So here is the deleted scene. Where are we going? Your friends are on the other island. We're going over there. And once we find them, you're going to shoot them, Claire. What? But why, why would I do that? So that we can leave the island. 
so that you can go home and be Aaron's mother. Isn't that what you want? I don't understand. Why, why can't we just leave? Because of Jacob's precious candidates. He touched them. I can't leave the island while they're alive. Those are the rules. Can't you just break the rules? Do you think if I could break the rules, I would still be here? Come on, let's go. But just please, I... I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to hurt anyone anymore. If you're not going to help me, Claire, I need to find somebody who will. You just, just, just don't leave me. Can you please just don't leave me? the submarine. Jack saved you. Where's everybody else? Where are they, Hugo? They didn't make it. Son, Jen? Taeed. The Peters, too. They're all dead. They're all dead. So, yeah. Uh, that's uh, a lot to take in. Uh, just give me your initial thoughts, Josh. I know that this, the second half, I think, is a little more, uh, you know, yada yada, sort of just like a necessary wake-up scene, but I'm assuming the first one has more takeaways from it. Yeah, the second scene has a lot of just beach and ocean noises so i had to imagine what might have been going on i i like to imagine that sawyer was waking up and hurley was just doing like um you know the chicken dance <laughs> and he's just doing that in front, of, in front of sawyer to to make him uh you know to distract him you know from all of this uh, bad stuff but he was very, there was very no close. music to it yeah, very close, but not uh, at all right. Uh, basically, it's Sawyer wakes up, his eye, we open it on an eye, because of course we do, and he looks around and he sees just like all the debris from the submarine, and then his head finally like cranes around to see Hurley, and Hurley is doing the exact opposite of a chicken dance. Uh, he is sitting starkly still, does not even look Sawyer in the eye. He is just staring out at the ocean, clearly, I think, still scarred from what happened the previous night. Yeah. Um, okay, well, um, I think that the scene that we do get of Sawyer, which comes next, and is him looking out, and it's it's wordless, you know, from his perspective at the very least, right? I think that's that's all I need. Uh, I don't need. Yeah, I, I don't think I that there's anything that's conveyed in this moment of Hurley saying they're all dead that isn't better conveyed 
in Sawyer looking out at the ocean, which frankly feels like a very evocative um, of season one type of moment when he's smoking the cigarette and reading the letter, his own letter, mm. uh, all by himself. And so now, now to see him kind of all by himself again, but the but the loneliness is different this time. Uh, that he is now, you know, stuck with this feeling of my friends are dead and it's all my damn fault. It's just a totally different vibe than the than the vibe that we got in that scene that I mentioned before from the from the pilot. Even though they are visually uh, similar uh, to each other, and I think that there's a good amount of that that goes on in this episode not all throughout the episode but in much of it um so i i don't you know i'll i don't i don't need this bonus scene with with sawyer and hurley the claire one um i guess i i i don't know that i need it uh what i need is i need more claire content generally um i don't know that this is the cure-all for me uh this moment where she's saying it's just too much i can't i can't kill anyone else i don't want to hurt anyone and i want i want to you know i don't want to be left alone there's other stuff that i really crave from claire's storyline um but i guess at the very least this sort of helps explain why the man in black just turns his back on her although part of me wonders because this guy's such a callous asshole why he doesn't just smoke monster her instantly the moment he knows she's not going to help yeah i mean listen i'll disagree with you uh i needed this because i think to your point it's very much like sort of what you talked about in in stuff like uh the last recruit of like well it's better than nothing and with claire we got nothing and so i was actually i really enjoyed this first scene because we finally get to hear claire kind of have agency for the first time in several episodes, right, of her just being like, I don't want to hurt anybody anymore. Like, the market choice that she makes, I think, is incredibly significant, considering that, you know, she does get on the boat in the last recruit, but she still is, you know, talking about John Loki. She still apologizes to him and the candidate when they come back together. But, like, this is a clean break that she is like trying to make, but also feels incredibly abandoned when this guy who has essentially been her cult leader for three years has left her. I don't know. I feel like that is a big dynamic that I feel like we're missing out on given how the candidate ended, right? Where like he saves her life, presumably speaking, you would imagine that she'd be back in the fold. And then all of a sudden next episode right now, she's going to be back with Kate back with Sawyer. I feel like there's something missing in there. And so I actually do feel like this was a necessary part of the Claire arc that would have at least given us something substantial would have given her something to do here. And I agree uh, in terms of, especially in this clip, the man in black is a huge callous a-hole to Claire in particular, right? Like his grumbling and grousing about like, well, if I, if there were ways to break the, break the rules, you don't think I would have done it by now. Uh, I guess it's relatable given like at this point, he's frustrated that his plan didn't completely work out and there are still candidates that are alive, but still an, an odd move to leave an acolyte behind an even odder move for him to not just offer right there. Yeah, I think so. And and your point is well taken. I think maybe at this point, I'm just used to the fact that Claire's final arc is relatively disappointing. Um, I think that that's, that's a piece of that that's coming out here. I don't know that this fixes my Claire issues, but uh, the scene and having some Claire content is definitely better than, than having, having none. So uh, I would say point to Bloom on on that one um when we come back uh there's the scene on the beach sawyer looking out there's the life vest kate's putting her head on his shoulder hurley's looking out too jack shows mm-hmm. up. Which is a, 
we should say platonically like the, the, the i know that yeah, we talked yeah, yeah, about yeah. like yeah so we talked about this with what Kate does, right? How, like, some people might perceive all that stuff as still stoking the love triangle. But I don't know. The way that I think Evangeline Lilly and Josh Holloway play it is much more from a friendship perspective to me than, like, a, oh, Sawyer, hold me. I'm about to faint. Sure. Yeah. It's not that. Um, but I do think that it is a, it's a, it's a touching moment to see the four of them, you know, the survivors, yeah. uh, yeah. that, the, la- uh, the last ones left. Yeah. Uh, to, to look out at the sea and it's, you know, it's sort of this quiet, unspoken funeral. They don't have time. They need to get going before Saeed died, which is a thing that they have to say. Um, before Saeed died, he said that Desmond is in a, in a well. And if Locke wants Desmond dead, then that means we're going to need him. Um, which is a good segue into the sideways where John Locke, the actual, uh, is back at school. And so is Desmond. Uh, Desmond is getting ready to do exactly what he did before, uh, is what it looks like. He looks like he's just going to plow through John Locke again. And if not for, (laughs) for Ben showing up and stopping this, it probably would have happened. And instead Uh. it's Ben who gets the beat down. I uh, I gotta say, I actually really like Michael Emerson in this episode in many ways, uh, because we'll talk about him more on island. He has such a DGAF attitude on the island of like, it doesn't matter anymore. I'll go wherever. And his like almost sarcastic way with which he regards everything is very funny. But I love here Ben's attempt to be his own super brand, right? To be like, no, citizens arrest. I'm being a vigilante. Right? He like slams on Desmond's hood. I guess LVP points to literally all the other school officials for nobody picking up <laughs> that this is the same guy in the same car showing up who maybe like a few days ago just ran this guy down that Ben's apparently the only one to notice it. But I just loved him sort of slamming his hand down on the hood, breaking Desmond out of his reverie and saying, don't you dare. And so, uh, you know, Desmond's going to approach Dr. Linus here. You know, you talk about fun callbacks. Here's another one. Uh, Benjamin Linus and Desmond Hume are in two very different places in Live Together Die Alone, but Benjamin Linus is going to ask Desmond, who are you? Which is what Michael asked Ben, you know, at the very end of Live Together Die Alone. Uh, and then it's going to correspond to Desmond just ubiquitously telling him, I'm here to help him let go. Cue the beat down. Cue the beatdown, indeed. Uh, where does the Ben Linus beatdown uh, rank for you here on the list of the Ben Linus <sighs> beatdowns? So uh, I want to reserve talk for like how we feel about this being Ben's sort of wake up moment uh, after this. But when talking about the beatdown itself, so it definitely has to be below, you know, the original, the OG, which is at number three right now so let's just work our way down that number four danielle harpooning benjamin i still think is better uh i think mm, saeed beating ben up in the hatch maybe it's somewhere along the lines of that or rousseau elbowing ben you know when ben tells jack not to radio minkowski and through the looking glass i would say i would put it underneath rousseau elbowing ben because that's such a long time coming um, but I would mm, put it above. True. I would put it above Sawyer beating up Ben, which is in the seventh spot right now, which, from which is barely dead. even a beat up, right? Yeah. Like it's just a, a punch across the face when they're on Hydra Island. So yeah, I think maybe that's like, as like a clear demarcation, right? Because below that is Ben's surgery, the big argument as to is that technically a beat down. So I think this being 
the last proper beatdown, I think, is a good sort of uh, putting it right past the equator here at number seven. Yeah, I think that that feels right to me. Uh, I think uh, having it, uh, you know, underneath some of the more important, meaningful ones and some of the milestone ones, uh, I think makes sense. Um Maybe that's low for some people, but I don't know. For me, the sideways is bonus content more and more is how I feel about it. So I have a hard time slotting that bonus content above some of the other things that we have seen. Oh, and I should note here, by our mark... Ben Sideways Beatdown is beating number 15. Wow. Uh, and I think that he's going to end up at 16 beatdowns because he's going to get punched in the face by Sawyer next week. And unless we count the tree falling on him, then that will be the mm. 17th beatdown. Oh. That is Michael's revenge. Remember, uh, yeah. that is Michael taking revenge on Ben for uh, what happened. Yeah. All right, so, so- I think it'll end up at 17 beatdowns. So, all right, so let's go back to the moment proper, though, Josh, because maybe this will also be something we count on our wake-up countdown as well. How do you feel, you know, from either a plot perspective or a character perspective, about a Desmond beatdown being Ben's wake-up moment, considering what sort of thematic weight we put in the wake-ups as, you know, the most important moment for you on the island? I think it makes sense. I think that um, less than, you know... uh more than having a person as his constant, I think for Ben, his constant has been shame, regret, some measure of cruelty and calculation, and above all of that, I think, comeuppance. Uh, so I think for that to be the thing that connects him back to some semblance of his old self makes sense with where he lands at the end, where he kind of wants to stay in this purgatorial state. You know, he wants to live that limbo life. Uh, and And I think that the fact that it's something unsavory that wakes him up is consistent with where he lands. Um, And I I like that it's different from all the others. You know, uh, it is it is a markedly different wake up than the uh, the wake ups that we get from the rest of the cast. Yeah, I am. So I'm fine with it because we talked about this in Dead is Dead as well, that I think this is a rock bottom moment for benjamin linus you know this is him post alex death he's attempting to get back to the island he's failing he tries to call out charles widmore he fails to kill penny so like that beating is metaphoric as well as literal but i don't know part of me makes me really wonder like was this the moment for him you know as we're gonna be questioning a bunch over next week's episode like of all the moments this being the moment I could see it, but I do wonder if in a different version of this season, if something dealing with Alex is the better wake up. You know, in our rewrite, if we do Principal Kimi, I think that really tees it up for an interesting wake up. Right. Right. And I don't know how Desmond sets that up, but like if you do something with Kimi and Alex, you could argue that one of Ben's most pivotal moments is obviously when Kimi kills her. I think everything you just talked about with comeuppance and shame is represented in that moment as well. If there is a way to represent that somehow, whether it's imagery or whatever in this episode, I think that would be a more preferable wake up for me but i think this is fine it's better than a lot of other moments and i to your point i do like how 
viscerally violent it is compared to all the other sort of romantic moments we see. Uh, but I think it'll probably end up being one of the lower ranked wake ups, if not at the very bottom. I think probably is is yeah, my do we want do we right want to slot that in right now? Because yeah. currently we have we have Desmond it. seeing himself in Penny in the MRI machine, and we see Hurley seeing himself in Libby when he kisses her. So we want to just slot Ben below those two. Ah, uh, um. I don't know. Maybe I like it a little more than Hurley. Hurley's wake up, to be honest with you. I I don't disagree. Oh, yeah, Josh. I think so. I mean, like it's unique. It's different. I think it's very Ben. I don't know that Hurley's wake up is necessarily very Hurley. You know, mm. um, it's, yeah. uh, it's it's nice. Uh, you know. It's nice, and I'm happy for him, but I feel like, I, I think that, you know, Saeed's going to probably rank last, uh, or at mm-hmm. least second to last, and I think that Hurley being right there is unfortunate, because Hurley is a favorite character for you and me and so many other people, um, but I think that the, one of the things that I don't love about it for Hurley especially is that all of the the life that he lived after this, and unless you're doing the stupid head cannoning that I'm doing, um, you know, he still it, it it this was the happiest thing that happened. You know, this was the only love that he he received. This was the strongest love he received. Were those you know it was that you know seven day period that he knew Libby. Just feels like not enough for for Hurley and almost to me implies a sad life for him. And I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Uh, So I think that Hurley's wake up actually might be my least favorite of all the wake ups. Yeah. I mean, I, to sort of counter that, I think it's less so about, you know, Hurley feeling his most loved. And maybe it's this idea of him actually feeling like he could be loved, which I think we'll talk about a bit with Said and Shannon as well, that it's less so about like maybe the person and more so about the feeling that they evoke that Hurley, even in the sideways makes this argument of like, how could someone like you love someone like me? And this reminder that even someone like him, who he feels is probably pretty ugly uh, on the outside could be loved for who they are on the inside is like a good lesson and thematic runner for Hurley, who I do think tries to love people for who they are on the inside universally. But I talked about this and everybody loves Hugo. I think it does not benefit from the fact that we have not really seen that dynamic since season two. I think the Desmond Penny stuff has obviously been recurring and the Ben stuff happened last season. So it is very fresh on the brain. So I think that makes it stronger than the Hurley stuff overall. Um, All right. So Ben is starting to wake up via beatdown. Meanwhile, on the island, he and Richard and Miles are on their way to the barracks. Uh, Miles used to live here. Uh, He has no idea how to get there anymore. Um, Ben has uh, he he has a a room full of C4. Uh, He put some thought into hiding it. Um, I guess I do wish that if we were going to be doing all of the explosivo stuff from the submarine to this, uh, that I do wish that this was Black Rock Dynamite still. I feel like mm. that, it, uh, you know, C4 is so generic. It's just, you know, such cookie cutter action movie type stuff and just doesn't feel quite as thematic. I guess the C4 blew up the freighter. I guess that's connected to Kimi to some extent. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like there there is, 
you know, there's island explosives to to consider, and the fact that that's not being brought into the equation uh, because the Black Rock has been destroyed at this point, and because it was already used to blow up Alana, I think uh, no surprise that I would I would scrap all of that and trade it in uh, for the C4 that we're getting here. But whatever, it's not the end of yeah. the world. Um, it's one of these things that feels very convenient, right? Of like, okay, Ben has this store of C4 that we're only just knowing about uh you know well ben hasn't really been back to dharmaville many times since the the kiwi days though i do wonder if that could have played if they knew about that how much that could have played into the shape of things to come right because like he's gonna go into that secret room to call upon the monster or the monster will call upon him sure muse later and and that's good but i think that if this if this is all you know bringing these characters in this moment to the black rock as opposed to Ben's secret chamber in the barracks. Um, I think it has so much more meaning. It's the callback yeah. to the season one finale. So look how far we've come. It's got Richard going back to the black rock. Uh, it's got Charles Widmore going to the black rock, which we know is a thing that was of interest to him. Um, yeah, from he the bought constant. the uh, manifest. Yep. Uh, so it'd be a, a great poetic place for him to die um you know the first time that we really know that he is uh invested in the island is via that um auctioneering scene uh so to get him to die there would be really powerful um and i think uh it would also be a cool place for the smoke monster to show back up when richard albert is now here again at this territory saying i'm i'm i want to talk and then the smoke monster whips him off screen at the Black Rock. I think it just would be a great site for this to go down much more so mm. than than the Dharma Barracks, which we've done a lot with recently. We were there earlier this season. Um, I don't know that it's a place that you absolutely have to go back to, but the Black Rock clearly doesn't work considering how it's been used this season already. Well, I think maybe we are sort of uh, you know, unfortunately doing away with the Black Rock in favor of a stronger, richer moment in favor of the Dharma Barracks with a stronger Ben moment. And I think that is sort of maybe an exchange that I'm okay with, because like you said, this does feel so Ben-centric, Ben-trick, if you will, for the first half of this episode, that considering that Ben is going to have his standoff and murder of Charles Winmore, you know, feet from where he watched Winmore's men call his daughter, I'm actually okay with that from a thematic perspective. And it actually leads to a couple moments that I am okay with. I do agree. I think maybe it's a little lessened by the fact that we ended up going back there previously. Maybe then we don't have like Sawyer go back there and what Kate does. Maybe that's the solution to it. Cause it does feel odd to have a group of characters go to Dharmaville and then another group of characters that are completely separate also go back to Dharmaville at the end of the season. So as they're on their way to Dharmaville to get the C4 from the secret room behind the bookcase, uh, Miles has some sort of big reaction. Let's listen in sound number two. It's just, I, you know, I get wonky around dead stuff. Do you have something you want to share with us, Miles? I don't think... What is it? It's Alex. It's your daughter. Uh, 
buried her. Thank you, Richard. Okay, I, I know Josh would like to crap on Richard Alpert in the first part of the season, understandably so, but Richard Alpert's a good dude. Like, he's a good dude. He buried Alex after Ben left the island. That's a pretty damn good thing to do. Yeah, I you know, I think he had his issues with Ben for sure, um, but Alex was innocent, you know, and I think Richard in this moment is still caring about his people. So it would make sense that he would go back to the barracks once the barracks are clear. And, you know, if he sees Alex there, that's going to hit with him. Uh, so, you know, good on Richard for sure. Um, yeah. I and, and I also I love the nice. way Michael Emerson delivered it too, right? It's like super small. Uh, I think it hits Ben, uh, not in a way that it hits Miles from like a supernatural perspective, but I think it's a clear reminder to him because uh, I can't. Re- so he does go back to Darmaville, right, with the whole stuff with the monster, uh, you know, at the end of season five. But this feels distinctly different in that it feels like he is reminded of what happened. This is clearly a very haunted place from his regard. And maybe it's also a symbol in that regard of like what Richard Alpert represents, right? All these people come and go, but Richard Alpert has been a constant. And so he has had to be here year after year and watch all of these people die. I cannot imagine this was the first nor the last body he's had to bury. No, I think that the thing for Ben too is I think it, this scene is a demonstration of growth for the character um, mm. in, you know, before he was so desperate to confront his his guilt and the meeting with the monster. And then when he sees Alex and what he says to her, and he's got to be smart enough to know at this point that that's not what I thought that was. And here he is with access to a man who he knows can commune with the dead. And Ben doesn't whip around and feverishly try to get miles to commune with Alex to convey any kind of message, um, anything like that. Instead, it's enough to know that she is resting here uh, and beyond that, whether or not that's enough, there is a, 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 you know, a solidness in Ben's realization that she's gone. There's nothing to be done. Um, And there are other things that need to be done right now. And whatever happened, happened and dead is dead. Um, And I, I think that that's conveyed very thoughtfully in the quiet performance from Michael Emerson, as you point out, I think it's a real, I think it's a great moment for Richard, for sure. I think it's an excellent moment for Michael Emerson playing Ben. Yeah. And I think it's also a very haunting echo of when he thought he was talking with Alex, right? That whole dead is dead. He thought for some time that the spirit of Alex had confronted him and told him what to do, but it was all a trick. Of course it was a trick. Dead is dead. You cannot commune with that. And I do think this sense of, finality is something that has really possessed Ben's spirit for, you know, the latter part of season six. And I totally agree. It's represented there of even if he had the opportunity to hear her last thoughts and talk with her, he declines the opportunity. And maybe it's less so about, you know, feeling emotionally satisfied and more so of like, I won't get fooled again. I learned my lesson. I'm going to let sleeping dogs lie in a manner of speaking. So yeah, it's, it's a small clip. It's only a minute long. But, you know, I think as we've just spoken about, there's a lot contained in this from a couple of characters' perspectives. Um, so they continue on to Ben's house. There's the secret room. Um, and, uh-oh, 
Zoe and Widmore are here. Oh, God. Oh, no. Zoe oh, and God. Widmore have there, reached the house. Yeah. There is a really fun shot that I imagine is intentional from Paul Edwards' shot, uh, spot of where Winmore walks in, and from the way he's framed in the doorway, he's standing right in front of a picture of Alex. Yeah, I have to imagine that's purposeful, right? Considering that I think one of the reasons why Ben does what he does is because of Widmore's bloody handprints all over Alex. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Ben is about to start seeing red here, Mike. Yes, in many ways. And he's going to, you know, it's going to be a little slower than when he ends up with Kimi, right? Like, he's going to find his opportunity to strike. But here he has to let this man waltz in, as Mr. Friendly would say, right? He puts his feet up on the couch. He's drinking his water. Uh, Winmore is just, like, hanging out, basically saying, like, you can't kill me, because then your last chance of survival will be gone. Yeah. Uh, Well, turns out that's not exactly true. Uh, so Whitmore thinks that he's got some leverage here that he's not going to have. They start, you know, having a final bit of back and forth about we're getting the explosives to blow up the plane. Whitmore is doing his peacocking of I'm three steps ahead of you as usual, Benjamin. Uh, and he says that Jacob invited him back to the island. He convinced him of the error of his ways. Uh, and now he knows why he's here. He's got his exact purpose. Um, but uh, that purpose is not going to be revealed if they get killed by the smoke monster who is currently on his way to the barracks. Zoe sees that he is on the outrigger and he is rolling up to the dock at this very moment in time. You know, that would have been nice to see. Uh, Charles Winmore sort of have his whole epiphany and complete character change, which apparently happens off camera. I'm still a little confused about it. I believe we got a question from a listener of, okay, if it is Charles Widmore's mission to stop the smoke monster, why is he not more protective of the candidates? Uh, you know, he clearly has a list of them, but he seems to sort of like throw them into cages and wallop them. It seems to get information out of them. I don't know. Charles Widmore here, I think, could have maybe in another world been developed into more of a three-dimensional villain for the final season, but I think... Even just like like you said, the way he says, I'm three steps ahead of you as per usual, Benjamin, just is a little too mustache twirly for me. I think it's a good representation of what I dislike about the character in the final season. That apparently he's doing this all for good, but because we do not see any of that turnaround, it's it's almost like when Mr. Burns uh, tries to recycle and ends up creating little Lisa Slurry. And I think Lisa says, you know, you're evil, and even when you try to do good, you do even stuff that's even more evil. That's essentially Charles Winmore, but we don't see that latter half. Totally agreed. Uh, Nothing to add. I just completely co-sign it. Um, we get to the sideways. Ben's getting cleaned up at the nurse's office, and he's looking in the mirror. And you could tell something, ha- you know, something has changed within him. He tells that to to John Locke when Locke comes back, and he tells Locke what happened. And he says, "I think I saw something while he was beating me up. He said he wasn't trying to hurt you; he was trying to help you." And I believe him. Does that mean something to you that he was trying to get you to let go? Mm, and something has changed within him. Something is not the same, Josh. He's through with playing by the rules of someone else's game. Uh, that person being Principal Reynolds, I suppose. Speaking of Principal Reynolds, so we should note here, this is this school nurse 
the nurse who was brought up in Dr. Linus as having the extramarital affair with Principal Reynolds. Maybe that's why she's a little shady towards Dr. Linus, right? Calling him Mr. Linus. Maybe she's pissed that, you know, uh, her nookie on the side got broken up. But it should be noted, this is the same actress who played a nurse who treated Desmond in The Variable. And this is another fun mirror, not just the one that Ben's looking in, where previously she treated Desmond for getting shot by Ben, and now she's treating Ben for getting beat up by Desmond. So no matter what, she seems to be treating wounds provided by these two guys just exchanging blows with one another. Yeah, uh, that is her whole job now that this uh, uh, this small high school has become a wartime triage center. <laughs> uh, Locke calls the LAPD, but then he hangs up. Um, meanwhile, at the LAPD, there's no no reason to call because Desmond turns himself in. Uh, I'm the suspect, he says. I'm the one. I yeah. I I drove my car through that guy, and then I beat the shit out of Doctor Linus. I'm I'm the dude who did that. Uh, and also, I'm tall Hollywood. Just in case you were wondering, they're like, Whoa. my God. We, we've been looking for you for months. for months. The infamous TSA grifter. There's a portrait of him, you know, up on the wall for Most Wanted. We should also note here another mention of the gala. Uh, Miles is, you know, getting dressed for it. It's almost like that that uh, that school dance in the first season of Heroes where everyone's converging on one central point here. Miles is, you know, getting in his finest. Uh, Sawyer makes a mention here of how he is going to avoid the benefit because Charlotte is going to be there, which will lead him, obviously, to a certain vending machine that we'll talk about next episode. But but yeah, Desmond continuing to act super chipperly weird, right? He's detained next to Saeed and Kate, and he just looks at everyone like, oh, how you doing today? And Kate takes a, fra- a page out of Frank Lapidus' books and see is missing from the sideways conspicuously and just gives a nice terrific yeah. to him. Um, so that's what's going on there. Um, he gets thrown into prison with Kate and Saeed in the jungle. This is so sad, uh, this moment with Sawyer and Jack. Uh, that was me, right? I killed them. Uh, and Jack is the one who is a good friend to Sawyer in this moment of, no, he killed them. You didn't do this. This isn't on you, man. Yeah, it's it's a really great move from Jack because, again, you know, he's saying, oh, well, you know what? I, I've been wrong before. He is really sort of, despite their confrontation last episode, he's almost walking back his own argument to favor Sawyer's incorrect argument. And I think it shows uh, Jack maybe having a bit Better bedside manner, finally, after three years, right? Of seeing this man who is clearly hurting in a way, not physically, emotionally, and just trying to keep them on the mission, trying to help Sawyer in the way that he wants to. Clearly, it's not working. Like, Sawyer's obviously going to continue to saddle the blame, but he's not emotionally wrecked enough that Sawyer is going to ask the question that you and I asked for the past several episodes, Josh. Why did John Loki just not kill Desmond? Yeah, he should have done that, uh, because um, everyone who's making the show is exhausted, and things are just falling through the cracks. Uh, I do think it is, for me, becoming more and more clear that it's as simple as that. And your your tolerance of that stuff and your ability to let go and to integrate it and be cool with it and, um, you know, or, or not be cool with it and, you know, hold grudges about it or whatever. Um, I, it, it, that's all very personally dependent. Your miles, uh, your milesage may vary. Um, but I do think more and more I am coming to the belief that they had an idea. They were really tired. They got to the final season. They had a wild idea for, 
how they were going to do something emotionally meaningful. They put a lot into that structurally. And as it went on, it just wasn't clicking quite the same way. They ran out of runway. They didn't have the time. And so we are uh, losing precious time and losing uh, some, some even internal logic, such as why is the smoke monster doing the things that the smoke monster is doing? Um, it's, that's the final season, I think, for me. Yeah, I mean, it's very much the show is the island, and the island in the final episode is going to be breaking apart and splintering all over the place. And that, I would imagine, was kind of the creative prospects as well, right? That just things began to break apart even when you thought it was supposed to come together, and they're just trying to scrounge together as much as possible. And like you said, some things literally fell through the cracks, fell through the fault lines, whether it was character stuff or whether in this case it was maybe some plot holes that you would not want to see in the final season of such a tightly plotted show. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Um, Okay, so in the jungle, we get the scene that we listened to at the start of the podcast. Hurley seeing a young Jacob, and then he vanishes, and he chases him down. He wants the ashes. Um, They're mine. And he runs off with the ashes, (gasps) and Jacob tells him, Hello, Hugo. Uh, We're burning my ashes tonight. Bring your friends. We are very close to the end, Hugo, which is the name of the series finale. Yeah, so let's talk about this. So I have some personal headcanon behind this, but do you have any ideas as to why? Because we've seen Boy Jacob pop up in the past, but again, Derwood Spinks has been missing for a while. Here he's going to pop up, and he's going to be able to be seen by everybody. Do you have any sort of headcanon mysticism explanation as to why that's the case? Um, I I don't know. I think that um, if you've got a really solid feeling about it, I'd love to hear it. I think it's really just as simple as burning the ashes. I think it's a matter of, like, Jacob can maybe, after he's dead, appear to certain people, but only in certain perspectives, right? Hurley obviously has the ability to see ghosts, so Jacob can use him any time, but, like, when boy Jacob shows up with Sawyer, for example, like, maybe he's not allowed to speak for whatever reason, like, the communication channels are blocked. It's almost like the mystical element is you need to have, I don't know, something of Jacob's to be able to burn in order for the spirit to truly be conjured and for everyone to see him. And so that's why not only the ashes had to be burned and why Jacob needed them, but also why he's going to permanently disappear once the fire goes out. You know, once his fire is gone, so is he, because uh, when that happens, like his last essence physically is gone. And so his last essence metaphysically is gone as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes sense. If there's no body, you know, then there's nobody, you know, he's gone. Mm. Uh, I think that that tracks for me. Um, but we're going to get into that in a little while. We we still have some time before we get to the fireside chat. Um, in the, <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, the gathering of the Midnight Society, most depressing gathering ever. Yeah. In the meanwhile, uh, it's Scramble City at the barracks. Uh, Widmore and Zoe, go hide in my room. Miles, take my walkie-talkie. Richard, where are you going? I'm going to talk to the smoke monster. He just wants me to... Jo- oh, God. Smoke monster shows up, throws Richard <laughs> across the barracks uh which is uh honestly shocking that he survives uh yeah uh well again uh you know the cork hasn't been pulled out yet this dude's gotta keep living so uh, yeah. even if he's in just in very badly you know b- broken to all pieces he's still gonna knit himself back together but i do like this as well it's a little bit samuel l jackson in deep blue sea in my opinion right richard yes, yes. sort of heroically taking the the diplomatic approach of listen 
I know what he wants. He wants me. We talked about this in the beginning of the season. If I can get him to leave with me, I'll distract him while the rest of you go. It's very sacrificial on Richard's part, but nope, he doesn't want Richard. That's He's done he with wants. Richard at the end of the day. He, he has something else in mind. That's not what he wants. So Ben watches all of that happen, and so he just sits down on the porch in yes. sort of stunned silence. Yes, he slowly casually walks down to the porch, sits down and offers lemonade to John Loki. And again, I love this attitude from Ben. You know, it's so interesting comparing this to Dr. Linus, right? Where he really has to just really, you know, vent his sins almost. And not to say he's completely healed from it, but I would say it's more so like calcified in a way that all this is happening. And he just has this attitude of, yep, this happens. This is my life now, I suppose. I'm working with the smoke monster that he is just going to casually, after Richard gets flung feet and feet away, he just strolls on over to his porch, takes a sit in that rocking chair, and just waits for the literal incarnation of chaos and darkness to walk over and give him a glass of lemonade. Yeah, can I get you some lemonade? Uh, I need you to kill some people for me, Ben. Uh, and the offer is do that for me. And then once I leave, the island is yours. Uh, at this point, I think Ben is, is not on board with the smoke monster. I have to authentically believe that Ben has changed or is trying to change at the very least. And instead is looking at this as a survival tactic. Uh, I'll get close. Who knows what kind of opportunity will present itself. Um, but this is the best move at this moment in time, uh, is to, is to, you know, not, uh, you know, say no to the smoke monster. I've seen what happens to people who say no. Otherwise, you end up like Richard, except you don't have the ability to heal from it. Uh, yeah. So I, I just loved also the fact that, you know, John Loki, I think was, was expecting a harder sell here. He's like, all right, I'll do this. You just got to tell me where Charles Winmore is. And Ben's like, oh, I'll let you know where Charles Winmore is. Yeah. Oh, please. Oh, no problem. I could have told you that as soon as you walked in here. He is behind my bookcase. Don't you worry about that. You go ahead and do what you need to, buddy. Don't even worry about the lemonade. We'll take care of that afterwards. Yeah, I'll get you lemonade after. Just let me kill this guy. Uh, so he's he's pretty excited about that. Um, in the sideways, dinner time at the Russo's. Uh, ben comes to dinner. Uh, 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 or no, he's he's getting a, a car ride home from Danielle Russo first. Yeah, uh, he- He's walking, he's walking out of the school. His arm is in a sling, uh, which, you know, again, very notable of how we first met him when we first saw him, you know, nursing an arm wound for quite some time. Uh, Alex, you know, approaches him. Dr. Linus, why would you, why would something like this happen to you? You're the nicest guy ever. Uh, and Ben, I love Ben's line of, I guess they had me confused with somebody else because again, very deep in so many ways, considering how we spoke about this in Dr. Linus, but I do think the Benjamin Linus, maybe has some capacity that he had back on the island, but is very much a different person in many ways. But Alex offers a ride to Dr. Linus, and here comes her mother, and Mira Furlan makes her first and only and final appearance on Lost Season 6. Great to see Mira Furlan again. Great to see Danielle in this different context. Um, I hope that she and Alex are able to just hang out in this spot for a little while. Um, But we get to to learn a little bit more about what the Russos are like in this world and how that reflects back on Ben. Let's listen in. Sound number three. Do you mind getting that plate? Dr. Linus, thank you. 
It's so nice to be able to cook for someone other than Alex. If you don't mind my asking, where is her father? He died when Alex was two. That's probably why she's so attached to you. Excuse me? All the interest you've taken in her. All the help you've given. You're the closest thing to a father she's ever had. Sure, it's the onions. Oh, God. I'll put in less next time. <laughs> All right, Josh, I have a question. We don't see him in the sideways again, right? Until the end? Yeah, that, that's it for Ben for this episode. So he's, he's awake. You think he's awake? Because I, I was going to ask, do you think Daniel Rousseau is awake? Um, No. I don't think that she would be having Coco Van with Ben if she's awake. <laughs> I don't know. There, there's certain things like the way that she jokes with him, like, uh, don't make us kidnap you. I don't uh, know. Maybe she's also if maybe she's warmed up a little bit somehow, because I just I just find the ways with which she regards him so meaningful in a way that, yes, I know that Daniel Russo obviously had a lot of hate in her heart for Ben, but maybe there was something to this idea of like the man who raised her daughter when she wasn't able to. Uh, maybe there's there's something there, but yeah, I think I don't, don't think see I don't it. think she's breaking Coco Van with with Benjamin Linus if she knows Unless, the full extent of his deeds. Is it poisoned? <laughs> That's why he's crying. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> oh, it must be the, the the arsenic that I put in there. No, I I think that the simplest explanation for me is that some of these people, you know, are repeating patterns from the past, and you know, have echoes of their old selves that are coming out coming out uh in in this sideways world that if there is that added meaning that you know oftentimes i think it's exuding from that um but it's not that every single person um you know is is you know or that there are a bunch of people who are necessarily awake i think for rousseau to regard ben with this much kindness knowing the extent of what ben did I, it's hard for me to see how she uh gets there unless she and alex are both awake and have been for a while um that would be the only other thing um either way i think ben is definitely up that dude is up he's awake he knows he's getting this you're the closest thing to a father she's ever had um i think that lodges within him in a really profound way um yep. i think that so that, much so that it brings him to tears and we yeah. r- never get that from ben especially adult ben the only exception was when he was crying over her body in the shape of things to come so i agree i think even though we have not seen the montage I think if there was sort of like a a half awake thing for Ben when Desmond was beating him up, I think this is the unlocking thing. Maybe maybe that's what I wanted uh, was instead of Desmond beating him up like this type of thing, because, yeah, he has a huge reaction to it. And it's not just a teacher student thing. I think maybe it's that 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 word father was the thing that really just unlocked a bevy of emotions in him. 
So let's go with a different bevy of emotions, though it's related, as we go to the barracks and Ben uh, brings Loki through the barracks and he's talking really loudly in there. Yeah, so Charles and his friend are in here. She's armed. I'm assuming that's not a problem for you. Uh, And Loki's like, wait out here. You don't need to see this. Oh, I want to see it. And he just walks Mm -hmm. in and turns the lights on. And Zoe and Whitmore don't even have the dignity to like hide behind the shirt. So they're, they're, they're like gin in the package yeah it's exactly <laughs> they walk, like they that. walk in and they're just standing there they're just standing there uh so they won't be standing for much longer let's listen in sound number four sorry charles what a pleasant surprise how nice to be able to talk without those fences between us and who might you be Zoe. My name is Zoe. Don't talk to him. Don't say anything. Why would you do that? You told her not to talk to me. That made her pointless. Now, Charles, it's clear you're not afraid to die. So there's only one way to motivate you to tell me what I want to know. Soon this will all be over. I'll get what I want. I'll finally leave this island. And when I do, the first thing I'm going to do is kill your daughter. Penny. You'll kill her whether I talk to you or not. No, I won't. I give you my word. And I'm supposed to take your word. You tell me why you came back here, and I won't hurt your daughter. I brought Desmond Hume back here because of his unique resistance to electromagnetism. He was a measure of last resort. What do you mean, last resort? I'm not saying any more in front of him. Well, then whisper to me. doesn't get to save his daughter. Ben, you never cease to amaze me. Fortunately, he had already told me what I needed to know, so no harm done. Good. Did you say there were some other people to kill? Excuse me? They're dead! They died! Can't you feel a brand new day, Josh? They're finally dead. What what a strange use of your time <laughs> is all I can say. Is because you have to you have to grab the sound from the episode. It's already a chonky sound clip. And then 
you decide that you want to get brand new day in here and you go through the effort of editing that together. I think it's become abundantly clear, Josh, after years and years of doing this, that I have no better use of my time. This is what I do. This is me pushing the button. This is me saving the world. And so, yes, Josh, I do take a two minute, 29 second clip of Zoe and Charles Winmore dying. And I do play the chorus of Brand New Day from the 1978 film The Wiz. And I splice the two together because it's an occasion to celebrate because Josh, in my opinion, the worst everything bad with season six is now done. In my opinion, everything from here on out in season six is at least good or better. We have finally done away with (laughs) what makes season six so bad. And so I had to celebrate it in some way. I, uh, I am, uh, I'm just very grateful to have you in my life. That's what I'll say. <laughs> I'm just very. I'm so glad that whatever happened that put put ourselves in each other's way happened uh, <laughs> because I don't want to live another day without us being uh, constant companions. What a wonderful thing! Uh, I could not agree what a strange, more. I what think- a strange, strange, wonderful brain that you possess. Uh, uh, I'm so happy. Well, luckily, in the year 3000, my brain is kept in a jar, though, Chris. Now, <laughs> brains are referred to as brain-borns. Yeah, brain uh, so If anyone wants to go visit my brain born it's located in file 379, uh, you know, in the third floor of the obelisk in which President Discord resides. So wow. good luck getting in there. You're like, third floor of the obelisk is like, uh, it's like the basement's sub-basement's sub-basement. Well, that's the thing, is that they they decided to start cataloging brains from the stupidest up. And so really, me being on the third floor doesn't say much. Like, oh, right, this guy edited Brand New Day into a clip of Zoe and Widmore dying on Lost. That's a third floor guy, if I ever saw one. Um, so Charles Widmore is dead. Zoe is dead. Not a ton to say about Zoe's death other than good riddance and no disrespect uh, other than that character was a mistake and just not effective and... Any time I've ever gone back and watched Lost, she just doesn't work. Um, is a very clear swing and a miss with that character. With Whitmore, where does this fall in the uh, we can't go after each other, you broke the rules, the blah, blah, blah. Do you take that as that was like gentleman's agreement type stuff as opposed to there was an actual barrier magically in place such as the one that prevents Loki from leaving? Um, I know we've talked about this before, but now we mm-hmm. are at the moment where Ben just straight up guns him down. Why didn't he do that sooner? Um, give me some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I wonder if the reason why he didn't do it sooner is because he wanted to, like, have him almost at a moment of vulnerability, like, at a moment where he feels either the safest or, like, he's at his lowest, right? Because remember, in this case, even when Winmore waltzes into Dharmaville, he's still on his high horse, right? He's like, oh, Ben, you can't kill me for many reasons. Here... Uh, For some reason, John Loki has convinced him that, like, he's begging on his knees that please don't kill my daughter, which is weird. Again, it was written in uh, if the stakes of it is that, oh, man, if John Loki leaves down, the world gets destroyed. 
it's a hate to ask, but who the hell cares about Penny? The world will be destroyed. Like, your daughter would be killed no matter which way you slice it. So I'm not sure why Charles Winmore necessarily falls for this, but I do think that maybe Ben sees a moment where Charles is begging for not his life, but the life of someone he really cares about, and then takes advantage of that in that way. He wants to see Winmore at his lowest in a way. And I really love the line he doesn't get to save his daughter uh, just because I think that's what Ben tried to do last time, right? When he tried to kill Penny on our mutual friend, he wanted to call Charles while he did it because he's like, you can't do anything about it. I've evaded your goons. I'm doing this whether you like it or not. He wants that ability to remove the power from such a powerful man. And so I really like that moment, which leads me to say, I'll continue to stick by what I said in The Shape of Things to Come. I think putting something mystical behind it removes any sorts of sense of thematics behind it. Season 6 has proven that everyone's lives have been in a giant game of chess. I think this is no different. This is the chess game within the chess game. And so I just think it makes complete sense that these two had a gentlemanly agreement. Don't go after families. Ben feels the rules were broken. This is something he has been harboring for a long time, and he just found that moment to gun down Winmore when he wanted to. So here's another thing. First of all, I agree with that, and I, I think that it's just it is just a satisfying moment to watch Winmore die after he was just you know I think poorly written for so much of this final run of the character uh, yeah. to just now have him unplugged from the board uh, is a relief. So that's palpable, but also to have that moment from Ben, he doesn't get to save his daughter followed by, do you say there's some other people you need me to kill? You know, he's just done a great job of getting back undercover basically. Uh, so that's all really satisfying on a personal level for Ben as a character, but also on that sort of logistical, I always have a plan. He knows miles is out there with the walkie talkie and stuff. Um, so he's definitely still looped in on all of that. That's really good. The other thing that I will say is if it's, you know, beyond the gentleman's uh, agreement of we don't go after each other's kid, uh, we can't kill each other or whatever, um, and you need something that is going to explain, well, why now? Why would it be possible to do? Maybe it's as simple as if there was some sort of, you know, when the others uh, get a new leader, what kind of procedures are involved, what sort of protocol must be followed, um, Richard Alpert, consigliere to Jacob, what kind of magic bonding type stuff does he make people undergo? Um, could there have been something where Jacob, the rule maker, I have made it so you can't kill each other, um, puts that into effect uh, mm -hmm. for, for Ben and Widmore, but now he's dead, and if he's gone, so is that deal. Uh, I think that there could be something to that if you want that. I don't need it. Um, and I do Agreed. think to some extent... It is a sign of, uh, you know, the, the weak, the weak spots in the structure of season six that we've kind of degraded to a point that I don't care that much. You know, um, <laughs> you've been beaten down and you're like, it's fine. It's fine. I, I don't know about beaten down, but I think that, you know, some of this stuff, you know, in the home stretch, I, I, I wanted to be much more optimistic about a lot of this stuff coming in here. But the truth is, is that I think that there's just a degradation in some of the quality of the show pretty undeniably mm. for me in the final season. And uh, so I don't really care about that anymore. Um, what I care about is that it's really it lands really well emotionally and dramatically as a scene when Ben 
does it. The things that land less well for me are that, you know, Widmore, again, to your point, like, show me the Jacob meeting. Why is also Widmore, you know, if he came here and he, you know, he just turns on a dime, right, in this moment, and if the if he's really out here putting it all on the line for the state, uh, you know, for the for the, the highest stakes being that the world will end, um, this dude's not going to let you leave this room alive, so why are you giving up the game, man? Just go down with some shred of honor and dignity, uh, and don't tell him anything, but obviously that doesn't move the plot forward. And then I hate that it has to be a whisper, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, all of this is just, some of this is just major TV contrivance type stuff. So good on Ben then, for, again, from a cathartic perspective, to shoot Widmore. Uh, you know, but JL's going to say, oh, yeah, well, he, he whispered it to me anyway. But yeah, it's almost like removing that idea, almost shooting that idea of, oh, no, it's a secret. No, this is, you know, Sawyer whispering to Kate before jumping out of the helicopter again. Let's get rid of that. Luckily, it gets paid off on immediately. But yeah, I definitely rolled my eyes, you know, and Widmore's like, okay, I'll whisper it to you because that has sort of been the show. I know the whispers have been answered, but it's a show that uh, had a fan community that very much thrived on what was being said, what could have been said, what is possibly going on. And to have that exist in the penultimate episode is not great. But I also I'm I'm happy that Ben ends up doing it. I think it would have not felt right if the smoke monster kills Charles Winmore because much like we sort of talked about, uh, you know, maybe this idea of setting up the man in black as the final season villain. Charles Winmore was never the man in black's enemy. He was Ben's. And it would make no sense to me for him to do it as opposed to this guy that they have had a years long rivalry. Yeah, it's better this way for sure. I just think the, the how he got here is probably sloppy, but you know, very uh, much so. Yeah. Uh, good to have Ben be the guy who does it. All right. So everybody goes to the Jacob campfire. Kate's like, Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh yeah. man. Um, you know, they, they get a good hate into Jacob. Uh, there's a little bit of a, Oh wow. You could see him. Yeah, I could see him. And Kate's the one who's really, really angry. Uh, Kate is channeling that big Riley energy here towards jacob <laughs> uh and jacob says listen everybody sit down if you do i will tell you what they died for why i chose them and why i chose you and how you need to protect this island because once that fire goes out one of you is going to need to do my job um we will have a chance to examine that further in just a moment so let's just, let's just keep pushing on for now um there is uh, a moment in the sideways where uh, John Locke decides, you know what? I'm ready. I think it's time. I think let's do this thing. Uh, so he's going to show up to Jack and uh, re- be ready to make this leap of faith. Let's listen in sound number five. You got a minute? Mr. Locke, yes. <laughs> yes, come on in. Is that your son? Yes, that's uh, last Thanksgiving. He looks just like you. Don't tell him that. (laughs) (laughs) So what can I do for you, Mr. Locke? Dr. Shepard, you and I were on the same plane from Sydney. You gave me your card. And next day I threw it away. No offense. None taken. Anyway. Then a few days later, I get hit by a car. And of all the doctors in Los Angeles, I ended up with you. Then after you saved my life, you still want to fix me. And I still don't want to be fixed. 
then the man who ran me down shows up at my school today again he beat up a teacher in the parking lot but do you know what he said to him he said that he wasn't there to hurt me he was there to help me let go which is exactly the same thing that you said to me the last time you and I saw each other. I'm sorry, are you saying that I sent this man to run you down? No, 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 no. But, but what if all this... Maybe this is happening for a reason. Maybe you're supposed to fix me. Mr. Locke, I want to fix you, but... I think you're mistaking coincidence for fate. You can call it whatever you want, but here I am. And I... I think I'm ready to get out of this chair. Last week, I gave you my card, but the very next day, you threw it away. Do you have more? Keep going. Try it. Today, you got out of the chair, but soon we'll be going church side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's by the band Wham! I just remembered who I was. Uh, was that in the, the Terry O'Quinn uh, Christmas movie that uh, Stephen yes. Mock told us about last week? Yeah, actually, he sings the outro credits. It's odd because it has nothing to do with the film. It has to do with specific <laughs> subplot of John Locke and Lost. But as we talked about last week, right? Like, one for me, one for you. Uh, they had to acknowledge the Lost fans in some way. Uh, I love this moment. I just love the two of them getting closer and closer and closer to figuring this whole crazy thing out. Uh, you know, the courage that it takes to take the leap. Uh, and especially after you've taken one and you've plummeted. You know, uh, and I think that that might be how this, you know, echo of John Locke is feeling, right? Uh, you mm. know, it didn't work out. It didn't work out. And what he doesn't know is it did. He didn't get to see it, but it did work out. Um, and I think that this moment where he's garnering the, the courage to once again put these things back together, it is very, very, when you fall off the wagon, it is so hard to get back on the wagon. It is not impossible. You can get back on there for sure. Um, and it is worth getting back on there, but doing it is so hard. And I think that that has been the sideways journey of John Locke to a degree. Um, but he's ready. He's ready to do it. He's ready to hop back on. And I think it's beautiful. Uh, and I love the way that T.O.Q. and Matthew Fox play it in this scene. And I also love how it really reverberates back to their original dynamic, which, again, is so different from the Jack that we see on the island, to have Locke bring a little bit of that early season charm, right? Telling uh, almost like some Exodus stuff, telling Jack, you know, maybe this is happening for a reason. Maybe you're supposed to fix me. Almost seems like a very much big U-turn from the candidate uh, where he just basically says, like, no. Doesn't matter. I don't want to be fixed. Uh, it seems a little abrupt, but again, maybe he's starting to awaken as well. And Jack responds with, listen, I want to fix you, but I think you're mistaking coincidence for fate. And I agree. It's this fun idea of them coming to this sort of shared remembrance, but they're almost in positions that they're not currently in and then i think current day jack would very much be like oh yeah listen dude i'm totally on board let's do it whereas this jack says yeah i'm all for it but like can we cut out the mumbo jumbo about fate and all this i just want to fix your spine i just find it really 
interesting with which these two guys regard each other. And I agree, it's really fun to see specifically like the early season lock come back in TOQ. The the just the winsome smiles and energy and passion behind okay, we're doing this? Yeah, we're doing this. It's it's fun. It's been interesting to watch his arc throughout the Flash sideways, but this really feels like the old guy coming back, and it's been a while since we've seen him. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's get back to the island, and it's about flipping time, Jacob, that you told us what the <laughs> show's about. So let's listen in. Sound number six. I don't really know where to start. How about why you brought us to the island? I brought all of you here because I made a mistake. A mistake I made a very long time ago. And now, because of that, there's a very good chance that every single one of you and everyone you've ever cared about is going to die. What mistake? You call him the monster. I'm responsible for what happened to him. I made him that way. And ever since then, he's been trying to kill me. It was only a matter of time before he figured out how, and when he did, someone would have to replace me. And that's why I brought you all here. Tell me something, Jacob. Why do I got to be punished for your mistake? What made you think you could mess with my life? I was doing just fine to drag my ass to this damn rock. No, you weren't. None of you were. I didn't pluck any of you out of a happy existence. You were all flawed. I chose you because you were like me. You were all alone. You were all looking for something that you couldn't find out there. I chose you because you needed this place as much as it needed you. Why did you cross my name off of your wall? Because you became a mother. It was just a line of chalk in a cave. The job is yours if you want it, Kate. What is the job? There's a light at the center of the island. You have to make sure it never goes out. That's how you protect it. Your monster friend said there was nothing to protect it from. You have to protect it from him. You must do what I couldn't. What I wasn't able to do. You want us to kill him. Is that even possible? I hope so, because he is certainly going to try to kill you. So, are you going to pick? I'm not going to pick, Hugo. I want you to have the one thing that I was never given. A choice. And if none of us chooses it? And this ends very badly. This is why I'm here. This is... 
This is what I'm supposed to do. Is that a question, Jack? Josh, a bit of a big question that might rile up the hatchlings or rily up the hatchlings in a certain case. Is Jacob, Damon Lindelof, and Carlton Cuse? Hmm. Um, you have to uh, elaborate on that a little bit for me. So Liter- Literally, th- no. But uh, literally, no, uh, no. His name is Mark Pellegrino. Yeah. He played a character stupidly named Derwood Spinks in an yeah. episode of the X-Files. It, for me, what really evoked this idea is when Jacob goes into his monologue about how you were all flawed, that there were all these individuals, you know, plucked from their sort of downtrodden existences and how you needed this place as much as it needed you. Obviously that's going to tie in incredibly heavily to the idea of the flash sideways, but maybe this is just the incredibly meta nature we live in Josh. But like, all I can think of is yeah, that was the purpose of these characters, right? Like they were all flawed characters. So even if the idea of candidates was not exactly an idea in season one, certainly the thought of here's a plane full of people that all have interesting, flawed backstories coming to the island and working together was absolutely there that I don't know. I'm just getting shades of like meeting the author, right? Meeting the architect in the right, matrix right. almost of like, this is what, this is what these characters were meant to be from the very beginning, even not from a candidate perspective, but like from a characterization perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think of course, I, I think definitely in, in that regard um, of, you know, this is, this is what the show is about, about, um, you know, people who were lost becoming found by becoming lost, you know, is definitely the, the, you know, the, the story engine and the thematic engine that is, uh, um, you know, driving these characters forward. And so, you know, they are all ambassadors of that idea. And I think that here we are in the home stretch and they want to remind us what's important. And what's important yes. is that these people were broken and being here and meeting each other, if not outright healed them, um, was restorative, is restorative, will continue to be restorative. Um, and so I think that having Jacob say those things is very much the writers trying to remind the audience of what's important here. I think an issue is, because this is a scene that I think is is complex. There are things about it that I love, mm. and then there are things about it that get me annoyed. And <laughs> am- among those are, you weren't living happy, perfect lives. You were all flawed when i picked you dude kate was a kid sawyer was a kid you touched them when they were children which is a weird thing to say but it's true that you came to them when they were kids kate was shoplifting but was her whole life destroyed did you need to summon her to your island and that was what was going to fix her as opposed to i don't know um, any number of other things that could straighten a human being out. Um, Sawyer's parents die in this hellish, traumatic fashion. But do you get to decide that he has <gasps> to come to this place? And I suppose part of it is, uh, and this is something that's left out, is literally they have to go to the island because they're in the 70s, right? You know, yeah. they're in the 70s. So whatever happened, happened. And so Jacob would be interested to find out more. But it's a dishonest thing, I think, to say, I picked you because you were 
were flawed and you weren't perfect. Uh, you know, I think that there is this extent to which these were kids when you came and saw them. This is messed up what you, what you did here. And another thing that bothers me that I know bothers a lot of people is, uh, I've crossed your name out. You became a mom. Uh, Sawyer's a dad. Screw you, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> Stop your fellow centric view of the world, dude. Uh, so you know, uh, but I think to the to the question of is Jacob an avatar for the the re- the writers in this moment? Then maybe yeah, warts and all. You know, uh, because there mm-hmm. there's a lot about this that's very poetic and beautiful and and um, you know epitomizing what we love about the show so much. And then there are other things that are kind of scaly and warty and weird. Uh, and you don't particularly care for, but it doesn't do anything to mitigate the um, the real catharsis behind Jack Shepard finally standing up and being like, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for, and I'm going to take it, and I can handle it, and I will be the one to do it. Uh, and I love this moment from Jacob. Is that a question? Uh, and says no. Um, and I also love that he says, is that a question because uh, Jacob uh, is really demonstrating his intelligence or lack thereof? Because there's nothing about when Jack says, I'll do it. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm supposed to do. That's not a question. There are periods at the end of those statements. I don't know what you think a question is, Jacob, but it wasn't that. Maybe a questions back in the olden days meant something different. Maybe maybe <laughs> statements were questions. And what do questions, questions were mean statement? in the year three thousand? Please write to us on your flobbledy fleep and uh, <laughs> give us uh, give us the intel. Yeah, question mark isn't even a mark. It's just an invisible glyph that only certain people can see. So only certain people know when questions are being asked. I believe it's called so a, a, think- a quarpel moon now. Yeah, oh, everyone, uh, was that a quarpel moon, Jack? Is how a lost <laughs> three thousand would be able to do yeah, it. And Jack says no. Yeah, as he's wearing, like, I don't know, a RoboCop visor because he's half cyborg or something in this version. Yeah, so, so much stuff with what you just said. I totally, you totally got my intention with the words and all thing, because I also think Jacob saying, I made a mistake a long time ago. I don't know, man. I feel like if you said, tell Damon Lindelof, like, what do you think about Lost Season 6? I think he would respond with, I made a mistake a long time ago. Uh, I think there is maybe a little bit of the creator's, maybe again, this is me projecting, but maybe the creator sort of acknowledging some of the bumpier, more broad aspects that they brought into the show as well as these creators uh, that I think certainly exist here. I mean, you talk about the Kate and Sawyer side of things. Let's also remember Saeed and Hurley were technically touched after they were on the island. So because these guys were in the 70s, they just got brought to the island because, like, they happened to exist in that time. They weren't even considered viable candidates, apparently, until after they had spent three years on the island, which is super interesting as well, of like, yeah, maybe you weren't as flawed then, but you certainly are flawed enough now to be able to be touched is is an odd sort of rubric for things. Let's talk about the mother thing, because, yeah, this is like... I don't know. It's a really odd beat for Kate's character in general of season six. Like, she's not a candidate, but she can be. I mean, is it as simple, Josh, as Jacob has his own complicated relationship with mothers that when he sees she becomes a mother, it's a triggering moment for him and she decides to cross her off? Um, hmm. Yeah, maybe. But I don't want to humanize him that far. Oh, yeah. Desmond humanized him. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think of is that obviously Jacob had 
a fractious relationship with his mother where like she obviously passed everything on to him but like clearly he knew that he was not necessarily the most loved child there are mommy issues with jacob and so from that regard though i guess i'm trying to think of if there were any other candidates who were also mothers was there a no mother rule for can no danielle rousseau was a candidate that maybe her name got crossed off when she became a mother i don't know does jacob hate mommies i think uh all the all the best mommies uh yeah it's a little late and lost to be thro- you know shading the moms when we've been shading the dads this whole time um it will son, you know, but then further credence to it's gin on the wall. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe it was, really was just like a hard and fast rule. I don't know. For, J- for, for Jacob of, of no dumb. moms. It's dumb. I, I, I don't love it's, it. Yeah, and it's not a good look. And it's also not a good look for Jacob just to be like, oh, it's a lion in a cave, man. Like, no, it's clearly well, very symbolic. Yeah, not a great lo- not a great look for Jacob. But this is the other thing that I, I do think that, you know, for for me and for us as lost fans to arrive at the place of uh you know the the resolutions and the answers matter a whole lot less than the odyssey of getting there and spending time with these people and in this world and letting the Jakina score wash over you and letting Lindelof and Cuse and Kitsis and Horowitz and Sarnoff and all of the other incredible writers incredible dialogue uh and thrilling storytelling uh to experience all of that and to to meet these people and to to see this lush landscape and to have all of this in your life and all of this meaning that uh that those are the things to focus on so much more than how it all ties together and the ways in which the answers are revealed and and the tightness of the of the plotting by the end of it um i think that we are good to get there i don't know that the and in fact no i i i don't feel that the show earns the 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 right to be like it's just chalk on uh, a cave wall you know it's just a line on a cave wall is i think that the show at this moment at this point in time now being the one that's saying that's all this is then we just spent a lot of time in this final season and we're still doing it dealing with these immutable rules um that are you know uh you know uh, like tying our hands behind our backs for certain things that must be you know adhered to the monster can't leave as he told claire in that deleted scene because there's rules he can't break so which is it are there rules that can't be broken or do the rules not matter at all are there answers that matter or do the answers not matter at all and i think that the show is not confident in its um in its stance on this issue. I think it it reads to me as getting so close to the end of the line that they throw their hands up in the air to a certain degree. Like, well, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the time you all spent here. But it flies in the face of a lot of the messaging that we've gotten, not just elsewhere in the series, but right here in this very episode of Lost. <laughs> um, and so that is, um, is something that I feel like uh, a- another reason why that line, yeah, it's a bad look on Jacob. But I think that this is ammunition for the people who, uh, who do not care for the show, and especially because mm. they feel like the final season violated their trust. I'm really comfortable in where I've come to with the show that I that I don't care for the final season all that much. I think it's it's not horrific. I think that there's definitely stuff in almost every episode, including the worst ones, that have um, value and merit and worth to them. Um, but I I'm I'm entitled to get there as an audience member and as somebody who this story meant a lot to. I think it is a lot more of a it's a much more challenging sell to me coming from the authors of the story to suddenly be like no none of that really matters 
Um, I just, yeah. I think that you could have gotten there. I think they could have gotten there, but the, um, there is a, there's a lack of confidence in the approach to that place that is, um, really permeating moments like these for me. To your point, like, I think this is very much a Kevin Mahadeo sort of point of contention, right? Someone who infamously, uh, does not like the way that Lost ended. I think this is clear ammunition, as you mentioned, for him to point to and say, okay, so in this scene, they're both saying that there are these answers for everything, but also the answers don't matter. Uh, they're like the points on whose line is it anyway. And yeah, that is, I think, again, the messiness that comes with this final season. And I think, unfortunately, sort of the broad brush takeaway that a lot of people had, especially in 2010, was not only a misunderstanding fundamentally of the ending, but also like, okay, there were all these answers to the questions, but they were, you know, unsatisfying. When the show, even at the time, you could say looking back, yeah, it should be much more about the characters than the mysteries. But even in this moment, right, they're still like, yeah, it's about the mysteries, but then it's also it's about the characters. Like, I don't know, you kind of have to pick a lane in that regard. And I can understand, unfortunately, some of the pushback in that regard from these conversations where you have, again, from my opinion, an avatar of the the creators themselves essentially saying, like, here are a bunch of answers for what you're supposed to do and why you came here. But also sometimes things just happen. Uh, you know, it's it's really tough to, I think, wrap your head around it when you're expecting one hard and fast concept for there to be multiple ones coming at you is difficult uh let's also mention another jacob beat here i'm not going to pick hugo i want you to have the one thing i was never given a choice but it's tough because as you mentioned he didn't really give these people choices either uh you know for various points of fate in their lives they got brought together on oceanic flight 815 nobody elected not to take the plane and as a result did not end up in this situation they were all picked by jacob i understand the connective tissue in the one thing i was never given i think we talked about this during across the sea the connections back to mr echo right of like i did not choose this life it was given to me and i tried the best i could and yeah i was not the best at it but i did the best of what was given to me that being said i don't entirely feel his logic here maybe that's the entire takeaway of this is it feels cathartic to get a large amount of meaning put upon this and especially in that jack moment but i think the more you examine it the more you begin to see some of those cracks behind the facade as well particularly with the character of jacob and the rationale with which he carried out a lot of his actions um that being said and uh you know riffing on what you just said and coming into some degree of conflict with what i had said previous to that is i do think that that idea of um, I, uh, I did not ask for the life that I was given, but I was given it nonetheless, and I tried to do my best. Um, and that vibe that Jacob is articulating here, and if we are continuing to examine Jacob in this moment as the author, uh, and this being a moment of, you know, breaking down that fourth wall and speaking directly to us to a certain extent, I have so much empathy and belief in the sincerity of that. Um, mm. uh, and it is another huge reason why, despite my misgivings with the final year of the show and a decade on, you know, a decade removed from it, a decade plus removed from it, why I'm still, you know, we are so close to the end of the show, Mike. And I love Lost still so deeply. It is my favorite story. And there's so much about it that I just absolutely, um, you know, th- 
can't, the, the, to say that I appreciate it is such an underselling of how I feel about this story and these characters in this world that the people who made this show made. Um, and I, and I can accept that warts and all because I, I do believe in the sincerity of the intention behind it. I do think mm. that, um, in many ways they tried their best. And I, I don't think that it, it lands exactly the way that any of us or all of us anyway, um, would necessarily want. But I do believe that the intention was good. I think that the intention behind it was good and then some things happen and it's too late uh, and you know things are in motion and you can't take it back um and that happens and that's fine uh and so i do think of this in this from jacob of i made this monster i'm responsible for it i need you to fix it feels very meta to me in sort of this yes. way that we are reading uh the the jacob character in this scene yeah it's almost this idea right of almost frankensteinian of i made this thing if we just started as like a little fun show about people stranded on an island with some weird stuff, and now we've gone through time and we've introduced, you know, uh, you know, emblematic forms of evil and a smoke monster, it got out a little from under me, and now we have to trust the characters to land the plane, in a manner of speaking. I think that is incredibly poetic. Is that a read on our part? Maybe, maybe that's not what they're intending. But if so, albeit coincidentally, I think it represents the series perfectly of creating this piece, creating these big themes and characters and everything. And sometimes it gets out from under you. And at the end of the day, you have to turn back to the very people that you relied on to begin with to save the day and sort of let it out of your hands. Now, that being said, this was very much in Darleton's hands, which I think ties into some of our concerns with the final season. But I don't know. I, I think that's a really meaningful way to look at this. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Jack has volunteered as tribute. Uh, <laughs> and so now he's going to play... Jackness yeah, Ever Shepherd. Now he's going to play the Thirsty Games as he's going to go and take a drink of that holy water. I love this from Sawyer. Wow, I thought Jack had a God complex before and keeping like James. And he goes, yeah, I know. He's down in the dumps, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be quippy. No, it's funny. And Hurley uh, saying, I'm just glad it's not me. Just you wait, Hugo. Just you wait, sir. Give it like, what, 12 hours or something, and then I'll be back again? Yeah. Um, All right, so let's listen to the ceremony. Sound number seven. You remember that bamboo field you woke up in when you first got here? Yeah. Beyond that field, across the ridge, it's the heart of the island. That's where the light is. That's where he's trying to go. And that's what you have to protect. Past the bamboo, there's nothing out there. Yes, there is, Jack. And now you'll be able to get there. Do you have a cup? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I do.
Josh, I find the exchange, how long do I have to do this job as long as you can, really interesting. Because I feel like the the line you would expect is as long as it takes. But to me, it again invokes this idea of choice, right? Like as long as you are able to, you should do it instead of you have to do this until you finish the deed. I don't know. It's a small change in text, but I find it very different from what the other line would interpret. Um, interesting. Um, yeah, I think I think that it also speaks to the severity of the situation. Of uh, you know, it, as long as it takes is not really a, an option. You know, as long as you can. You know, as long as you're still alive, basically. <laughs> if you can, if you can. Yeah, uh, I think that's good. I love the scene. I really do. I think it, it's hilarious to me. Jacob, uh, you know, suddenly speaking in in Latin. I like to imagine he has no idea what he's saying. Uh, yeah, I, I think. Uh, lost pda translator and it's like uh basically like though this water you know uh means nothing like now it will make him like me another reason why i think i'm good with putting across the scene the beginning of the season is if you watch this in chronological order you get the drinking of the water in episodes 15 16 and 17 and i feel like doing it for three episodes in a row is a little much yeah i think you could do it for two you know and have it you know be something that's calling back to something that happened early in the season i think is probably good uh so i do again uh for that reason as well prefer across the sea not having happened just before this episode um but now jack is like jacob and that's it. He's the guy. He's the new man in charge until the new new man in charge. Not only that, Jacob has also enlisted Jack where he needs to go and ultimately where he will die. Yeah. As well. I, re- I really like setting this up, too. You know, this episode features as a prologue for the end in many ways. But one of them is intentionally, I think, revealing what the final location of the series is going to be, back where it all started. Yeah, I think that that's a great call, and I think a smart choice. Um, one that I, I'm greatly appreciative of, of is this this decision to, to end things roughly where they began, I think is powerful, and something that a lot of good stories do, and bad stories too, uh, you know, uh, end at the beginning. But I think when you can do it artfully, it's a really beautiful thing, and I think that they do a good job of finding a way to to get back to to you know starting position in a way that does not feel um overly circular it it feels you know perfectly circular if that makes sense yeah We'll talk about it next week, but I think I just really like this idea as well. You could argue it's a little cheap, right? Of, oh, the light of the heart of the island was actually right where you were. You just never saw it. But again, I find that incredibly symbolic of the person who Jack Shepard was when he arrived on the island is not the person he is now. He couldn't see it back then. He was not ready, as we'll invoke many times over the course of next week's podcast. Now he is. Now he can see it. All he had to do was sort of like open his eyes in a manner of speaking. And so, again, I think that's just really fitting in so many ways. Uh, so let's go to the sideways. Everybody uh, who's been imprisoned is about to be transferred. Uh, and so Desmond is going to have a harebrained scheme <laughs> to get everybody out of jail. Uh, all right, let's listen in. Sound number eight. One F21 I think it's time to leave. What? I said, I think it's time to leave. Are you ready to get out of here? I'm sorry, who are you? He's a crazy person who turned himself in. What'd you turn yourself in for? I ran over a guy in a wheelchair. You see what I mean? All right. I'm crazy. 
Do you want to get out of here or not? So what, are you just going to tell the driver to stop? The driver already knows where to stop. But when that happens, you're going to have to give me a trust. Oh, a trust. That's right. Because after I set you free, I'm going to ask each of you to do something. And you're going to have to promise me that you'll do it. So what do you say? No, absolutely, I promise. How about you? Okay, sure. All right, then. That's me. Where's your friend with my money? Otherwise, I'm going to have to say I shot all of you trying to escape. Don't worry. They'll be here. All right, here he comes. I'm late, dude. Don't worry about it. Oh, hey, you didn't tell me unless he was going to be here. Do I know you, Tubby? Oh, no. We never met. Anyways, here's your money. 125 grand, right? Yeah, that's right. Nice not knowing you. She's not coming with us? No, she's not ready yet. I brought you my Camaro. The keys are under the floor mat. Everything else you need is in the trunk. All right, good. Um, you know where you're taking him, yeah? Absolutely. We should get going. Okay. You're with him? You're with me. What do you mean, I'm with you? We are going to a concert. This is so much fun. It is fun. You know, it's hokey, but Anna Lucia is here. She's coming out for the final season. Yeah. She, though she's also, like, a bad cop. Like, yeah. She just took a $100,000 bribe to let three prisoners go. She's not resolved yet, you know? And I don't know what it's going to take to wake her up, but she will in her uh, own Is it going to be around stupid Jason McCormick, you think? <laughs> yeah, return of Jason McFrickin' Cormick. Ooh, what if in this universe she's married to stupid Jason no, McCormick? I and wonder, she, like, has a... I wonder which floor of the obelisk Jason McCormick's brain is on. Oh, Oh man, it is. They're wiping the floors with it. It serves as a, it's a mop. Yeah, um, but it is great, and it's a nice setup for the sideways story of the finale, aka the resolution of the sideways story. It's just fun. It's, it's especially fun, and I'm good to just you know whatever issues I've got with it. I'm good to kind of just let go of because I'm getting to spend any time with Saeed right now makes me happy. You know, because I miss yeah. him already. I really, really. Well, we do. should also. S- Say the Saeed Kate Desmond trio, I don't think we've ever seen them together before. And it's a really interesting group. Um, I'm trying to think. Nothing is coming immediately to mind other than in the hatch in the start of season two when Saeed is brought in to fix the computer, maybe. But is Desmond already gone at that point? 
Yes, Desmond leaves, right? Where he runs out as soon as the computer breaks, and that's when they bring Saeed in. Like, every, you know, even in season three, when, when Desmond was around camp, Saeed and Kate went off with Locke right. uh, to go with the, the Mikhail stuff. So, yeah, I mean, outside of the Oceanic Six stuff, of which they were, you know, not the only three people, this is a grouping we have never really gotten in Lost before. So it's really interesting how to get this sort of cast mix-up happening. Yeah, and frankly, Desmond and Kate is not a particularly strong pairing as far as... Um, um, uh, repeated instances of the thing, but they will have a prominent role to play with one another in next week's episode. Um, this week's episode ends at the well, uh, and Desmond is gone. It looks like somebody has helped him out. Uh, and uh, Locke is going to say, no, somebody helped me out because Desmond is a failsafe, a last resort in case I kill the candidates to make sure I can never leave. Um, so I'm going to find Desmond uh, and I'm going to have him help me do the one thing I could never do myself. I'm going to destroy the island. Yep. The final cliffhanger in Lost, and it's a big one, though it's very evocative of our previous penultimate episodes. Season four, Locke says, I'm going to move. We have to move the island. Season five. John Loki says, I'm going to kill Jacob. It very much is the Nicolas Cage and National Treasure stuff, right? Of just making big declarative statements, uh, kidnapping President Discord, for example. But it's a big one. It also compares a lot to, uh, you know, the, this idea of follow the leader. Same pairing, right? Here's John Loki and Ben. John Loki makes a big statement, cut to a shocked Ben. That repeats itself. It should note, uh, if you look really closely or if you, you sort of pause yourself, the shot of Ben and John Loki holding torches, looking down the well. Very familiar to how season one ends, frustratingly so for some people. So a lot of everything old is new again, but big stakes for the finale that our main evil character, they have to kill him essentially before he destroys the island. All right, so we are going to uh, we're gonna we're gonna destroy the podcast here pretty soon. Oof, but, 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 but before we do, uh, we are gonna take one last commercial break, and when we come back, we will begin that destructive process by uh, counting the four point two fish biscuits, the MVPs, LVPs. We've got more feedback to get into as well, so stay tuned. We will be right back. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Mike. Let us uh, rate what they died for. Um, and I was giving a lot of thought to what you had said about the penultimate episodes of the seasons of Lost. I think the biggest disagreement that you and I have is uh, three minutes. I think is yes. a, is a strong episode. Um, but otherwise, I generally agree with what your what your take is. And I think that this episode for me is at least as good as Follow the Leader, uh, which I gave a three. 0.72 in season five and i think it's probably a little bit of a stronger episode even maybe than than follow the leader considering what it's setting up what's at stake that we're moving into the end game it does have a few wonky elements um that that hold me back from giving it a, a much higher score than that even though i think i would take this episode over follow the leader i think it has higher highs than follow the leader but maybe is a little less consistent so ultimately i kind of just split the difference and gave it the same score i ended up with a 3.7 for what they died for um which is one of the higher scores that i've given for season six um uh i do enjoy this episode a lot and i think that there's a lot in here that's really good and it was it was for me it was a fun one to revisit yeah so i well, i'll compare mine for follow leader as well because i think that's very appropriate i gave that one a 3.6 i think i gave this i gave this one a 3.5 so i agree that i think it's in the same range i think i like this slightly less because i do think this is more of a flawed episode than follow the leader i think follow the leader is like nothing spectacular but consistent whereas this one i think has Stop me if you've heard me say this one before in our season six sort of analysis, higher highs and lower lows. I think maybe part of why I'm counting it in there is because of like what I'm using this episode, I think, to represent the culmination of my thoughts on the Widmore stuff, which is, again, as we've said many times, just such a big miss that I think like finally seeing it to an end, albeit also in a sloppy style. We talked about how maybe it is righteous to have Ben kill Widmore, but there is still some wonkiness with how they land his character with him being like, no, I'm actually doing this for good, even though we didn't see that turn around and then him selling them out. It just seems messy that I think that's a bit of a takeaway for me on top of, yes, there are big character moments, but I do think, again, this is more of a setup, so it doesn't necessarily project that into the top-tier episodes for me. I gave Dr. Linus a 3.4, and I I do think, if we're calling this the other Ben episode of the season, I think it's slightly better than that one. So I think it's good to settle in at 3.5 at the moment. The audience gave it a 3.7, which you would imagine, like, in line with us, but really all over the map with this one. I'm seeing as low as a 2.7 and I'm seeing as high as a 4.2. I understand the what they died for. I understand the perspective of this as a 4.2 caliber episode. It's it's not that for me, but I don't think that's insane. Uh, yeah, I, especially if you view this as the prologue to the end, it very much yeah, has that energy. Yeah. So I can see from the feels in particular, it's very 4.2. Yeah, it's emotional. It's moving. But with my 3.7, your 3.5, the audience is 3.7. It's a 3.6 four uh and it is a top six episode of the final season of 
lost. I think it will probably uh, move down the list at some point in I'd, time. I'd say so. Again, we are not promoting any sort of agenda when it comes to next week. But let me continue to say, just in general... Uh, particularly if you feel good about the ending of Lost, send in those ratings. Send them send in. in those fish, send in those fish biscuits. We want them. We want those fish biscuits. All right. Well, let's get through some more feedback. We had a lot of feedback this week. We've already gone through a decent amount of it, um, but let's keep pushing forward. First of all, let's go to Dallin Saravo, who reports two more dudes in this episode. Oh. We are at 294 dudes for Hurley. We need, oh. we need six dudes in the end and in, uh, the new man in charge to get to 300 i'm nervous but i i'm hopeful i'm hopeful that we can get there i think we barely make it across the line but making it across the line at that is all that matters um this is from Dallin, who says uh jack's line of this is why i'm here this is what i'm supposed to do is one of my favorite moments in the entire show it completes jack's arc and is done beautifully back in season four during one of the last conversations between jack and john john tells him that leaving is not what he's supposed to do jack screams what am i supposed to do afterwards john tells him he needs to lie in order to protect the island jack says it's an island it doesn't need protection now he knows what he's supposed to do it's to protect the island at its most vulnerable time absolutely beautiful uh totally agree down it's a great moment it is the fulfillment of uh of jack shepherd's promise as a character yeah i love it and it really is i think also just a great representation of this character's entirety throughout season five and six in particular of okay, I know I'm supposed to be doing, but what am I supposed to do? I just really like that moment of awakening for Jack. And we'll even talk about her next week with then his realization that, yes, this is what he was meant to do, but also he is meant to give it away as well, I think is also an incredible decision that just shows how far the characters come. So I really like that analysis from Dallin. Uh, this is from uh, Jim Fells, the the legend Jim Fells, uh, about Ben, stuff that we've gotten into a little bit already. Um, from Jim, Whitmore's death in particular is frustrating because this was the one way or so we were told that he was not able to die. Another thing that's frustrating is Ben's last minute regression into a gun for hire for the man in black. The beauty of Dr. Linus was his speech and the fact that he was no longer motivated by power when this episode first aired i thought ben was manipulating the man in black by playing along however in the series finale he seems genuinely surprised and disappointed that the man in black was not going to leave him in charge of the island so mike i think on that last point let's you know hold some judgment until we watch the end and have it fresh in our minds i still view it as not that he's manipulating the man in black um but that you know he is getting tucked under the wing so as not to die, uh, probably as his primary motivation, um, but also to see if there's any maneuverability within any of this. I don't read Ben as having made yet another heel turn at this point. Maybe I'm alone on that. No, I agree with you, but and I also disagree with the idea of okay, like the entire onus of Doctor Linus was that he was no longer motivated by power, and so like why is he doing this? Because I think it is incredibly within character for maybe Ben to feel that way. But as soon as he sees Charles Woodmore, he can't help but do it. Uh, we spoke about this a little bit with Saeed, right? This idea of re- realizing who you are, flaws and all. And I think it's easier said than done. Like, Benjamin Linus is not going to become a pacifist anytime soon. And so I actually do think it was 100% in character that, yeah, maybe Ben is a bit of like an aimless, sarcastic Sherpa. 
after Dr. Linus, but as soon as he sees Charles Winmore, I do think a sense of that purpose and that climbing for power comes flooding back to him, and so I do understand why he does what he does. Um, this is from Joanne, the Pistons fan. She writes in and says, if Jacob brought Widmore on board to fight the smoke monster, why isn't Widmore more concerned about protecting the candidates? Why does the smoke monster's threat against Penny matter to Widmore? It was my understanding that if the smoke monster escaped the island, the entire world would die. So why would he bargain to save her widmore's motivations and knowledge are so unclear to me and he dies before i can understand why he's even there joanne i've got no answer to that other than yeah he's just wibbly wobbly and that is not a future term that is a now term for the fact that charles widmore season six widmore especially just kind of makes no sense yep i i think that it's i mean joanne that was the person who i was forgetting before who wrote in those questions that i that i echoed previously and i completely agree and i think it's just a symbol of how this character when charles winmore is more so a representation of something than he is an actual character i think at the end of the day he's supposed to represent this big bad this source of like corporate evil almost come to plunder the natural resources of the island and at the end of the day i think they sort of realize that this guy isn't really a character you know he was sort of a mustache trolley villain for the first five seasons of the show and now we're bringing him in and they like attempt to do a heel turn on him but it's done off screen and i think the fact that they couldn't they had so many holes when they wrote his final scene of the show in here just shows that I, I think it was a fundamental mistake to try to rest a lot of the action of the final back half of the season in particular on a character like Charles Winmore, who really was much more menacing whenever he was off Island off screen in season four. Uh, Eric Divestein has a great question of all people. Why did Jacob visit Widmore? Hadn't he fallen out of favor and been exiled by Jacob? Or was that only a lie invented by Ben? Was it simply a matter of, Jacob reaching out to the wealthiest person he knew. Um, well, if it was <laughs> the wealthiest person he knew, then Widmore should have hired some people who knew what the hell they were doing. I mean, it could be a thing where, you know, Jacob knew that Widmore knew where the island was, right? That's where he sent the freighter. Obviously, they've had some sort of rapport where he knew of the island. Maybe he felt if he had to hire off the island, this is probably the easiest way to go because he was someone that already kind of knew the territory. Yeah, I guess. Uh, from Matt O, Matt says, do you think that Charles Widmore's role in the story was originally supposed to be filled by Alvar Hanzo, a rich man with oh. previous ties to the island and one of the big bads of the series? I assume they liked Alan Dale's performance and put him in the role, leaving Hanzo in the writer's room for an ARG fodder. That would be interesting. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that um, had the ARG not gone in the way that it went with Alvar Hanzo, i.e. it just feels a little soapy and not of like the visual language of the show, that I think that Alvar Hanzo and the Hanzos generally become a bigger deal in the the larger telling of Lost. And I think that yeah. probably uh, this piece that Matt sees is on of Alan Dale being great. So they're like, okay, well, let's do more with Alan Dale. Yeah, they really Michael Emerson to Alan Dale. Yeah, I could see something where if the Hanzos did get brought in a larger capacity, I think maybe it's something like season five into season six. Like maybe we meet a younger version of them, right? Maybe they travel to the island with Daniel Faraday or something because they were in Ann Arbor. And then we see an older version of them come back to the island in season six. I could see that. Uh, maybe a little bit more than Charles Winmore, who, again, isn't really a character. Not really. Um 
This is great from Joanne the Pistons fan. Who could have possibly foreseen a Ben and Danielle ship rising in the penultimate episode? Mike, are we shipping Ben and Danielle? Could these could these crazy people get it together and raise Alex right in the sideways? Is that the tone we were getting from Coca Van Night? Because uh, I didn't necessarily see that. It's cooking. Uh, this is hilarious from Andrew Yu. I loved this. Why would Alex and Danielle choose their afterlife to take place in Los Angeles? She's French, and Alex was never off the island. I I absolutely love that. I do wonder if it's a matter of everyone else made this place, and it's like, look, it's either this or the eternal abyss. And they're like. Fine, we would go to LA. We'll go to Los Angeles if those are the choices. Um, From Clemens, Clemens writes in, I thought I'd share my headcanon explanation for the man in black's vision, since in my opinion, it pairs really well with Josh's mini-monster theory. I always viewed viewed the mini-monsters as sort of horcruxes, i.e. fragments of the man in black's soul that attach to the candidates. Being thrown down the well granted the man in black his smoky powers, but at the same time trapped them on the island by splitting his soul apart, giving birth to tiny mini monsters popping out like gremlins to escape the <laughs> island he needs all of the candidates with all of the mini monsters inside of them to leave with him the reason why only the best of them could take jacob's place is that by drinking the water hurley gains all of jacob's power but ingests all the mini monster soul fragments with them which would have corrupted or overpowered a lesser person oh so hurley can withstand all that smoke Oh, I mean, so he, he is uh, he is Cheech's son, after all. Yeah, exactly. It's he's been born with it. Uh, so yeah, maybe he's the failsafe, much like Desmond has the electromagnetic resistance. Which, by the way, I also love the idea that you know Desmond is the one who turned the failsafe key. Now he is the failsafe. It's very much to me, Josh, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four, when uh, Maxwell Lord becomes the Dreamstone, right? Like, almost invoking this object's uh, tendencies within him. He's the new failsafe key, but. This, interesting theory that essentially like uh because only the best of the best can handle being protector maybe that's why mother said if people found the heart of the island like it would expose the worst parts of themselves is because the mini monsters would just come out of them and take them over unbelievably great uh final bit of feedback from zach brooks the legend so many legends in the Down the Hatch yeah, community. Climbing I love that it. movie ladder out of the well. Absolutely. Zach writes in, since he can communicate with the dead, Miles should really be the one who could break the wall to the Flash sideways, not Desmond. I'm glad Des has something important to do in the final season, but Miles is set up with the superpower already. I mean, Des is set huh. up with the electromagnetic thing, so it's not like he's not set up with something. But could there have been more for Miles to do? Million percent, yeah. Obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean... Quite obviously, we have talked about what, maybe three Miles moments in the entirety of season six. Maybe there was something where, much like, you know, when Juliet dies, she quotes the flash sideways. Maybe there's something where, I don't know, Miles uh, reads a dead person and like quotes a line that one of them might say in the flash sideways as well. Right. This idea of like crossing between worlds, Miles would be able to do it. Like we've said many times over the course of this podcast, something would be better than nothing. Uh, Let's get into it, Mike. One last time, we have LVPs to award. Uh, it's the MVP LVP section. We will have MVPs to hand out next week, but this is going to do it for LVPs. Uh, the final time that we are going to be giving people LVP points on Down the Hatch. Uh, you've got three MVPs. I've got two. I've got three LVPs. You have to take us through the MVP journey. Mike, give us your scores. All right. So I'm going to give one point to John Locke. 
just I'm just going to continue what he did before because I just really love that scene with with Terry O'Quinn and also like he's a good dude to Benjamin Linus like he goes to visit him in the nurse's office again not something that John Locke would do in the present timeline with Benjamin Linus so I just love everything that Terry O'Quinn is bringing to John Locke in this episode so here's a bit of a contentious one Josh and it's because I'm going to spoiler alert give Desmond both an MVP and an LVP point. Uh, one of them, the MVP, is that, listen, what he is able to set up with Hurley and Anna Lucia is pretty damn impressive. Like, Danny Ocean himself would not be able to concoct a scheme as much as this one that involves paying off a police officer to free you and your compadres. But I'm going to dock him a point as well for being the crap out of Benjamin Linus uh, and just being weird in general. That's like a not a good thing to do. So those are going to completely offset each other. Just highlighting again how Desmond is doing bad and good things in the sideways. And this is going to be a bit off the map, but I'm going to give a point to Richard Alpert here. I thought he was a good dude in this episode by both burying Alex three years ago and also trying to be the hero in this moment, thinking he knows what the smoke monster wants and trying to take him on himself to protect Ben. It doesn't end up working, but look, this is probably the last point I'm going to give to Richard Albert because it's the last like real thing of magnitude that he does. And so I want to acknowledge someone who I acknowledged all the way back in his first appearance back in season three. Um, I think that that's totally fair. I am going to give an MVP point to Benjamin Linus. Um, Benjamin yeah. Linus gets to kill Charles Widmore and also leads to the circumstances in which Zoe is killed. So just on those fronts, he would score a point. Um, but I also think that there's a really beautiful Michael Emerson uh, through line in this episode, uh, mm-hmm. both in the sideways and outside of it. Um, I think that he does really, really excellent work here. And I think that I had underrated this. Uh, and thought that Dr. Linus was kind of the culmination of the Ben story and that he doesn't have a ton to do. He has, you know, these beautiful moments that are coming our way in the finale. Even with increased MVP points, I don't know that we're going to have room to acknowledge him there. There's just so many people no, I don't think so. that we have to that we have to stand up and salute. So in a way, this is almost kind of forward looking towards the finale and where he lands in that purgatorial state of I think I'm going to stay here for a little while and just how beautiful of a scene that is. It's almost like an early acknowledgement of that is this point for Ben for me. But I think that this episode carries a lot of strong um, components to, to Ben's story, especially from, from my view of him being somebody who uh, is not once again in league with the man in black here. I just I, I do think it's too reductive to get there. And certainly uh, I understand if someone views it that way. Um, I just for my sanity, I can't. Uh, mm-hmm. My final MVP point uh, of this episode it makes sense, right? He's the protector of the island. He volunteers this tribute. So let's give it to Jack, who is continuing yep. to run away with it. And I think at this point is not going to be beatable as the season six MVP. I think that Jack Shepard is going to end up being the MVP of the final season of Lost. Yeah, I completely agree. It sucks. You know, I I think maybe arguably Jack should be getting more points in this season than we are giving out. I just think giving out. Uh, I just think in these past few episodes, Josh, you and I have really taken on this mentality of like for MVP points, spreading it out amongst the ensemble. Maybe it's because we know it's one final ride with these characters. I think maybe if these had been season two or three episodes, we'd be sort of piling more of the points onto Jack. So he's not benefiting from the fact that these are the final episodes. But yeah, Jack is currently at nine. The next closest are Hurley and Locke, who are both at five. So so 
definitely going to win season six. I'd be intrigued to see where he ends up, you know, landing overall, because safe to say he's also going to get at least one point next week. Yep, 100%. All right, LVP time. Mine are easy. Uh, I have three LVP points to award. Two people die in this episode. So Zoe, come on down. And Charles Widmore, come on down. And you know what? Come on down again. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give, with my final LVP points ever, a double tap to Charles Widmore and one to Zoe for good measure. And you know what? I have one more LVP point, and I think it's ironic. I gave one to Desmond. I'm going to give the other one to Widmore because, Josh, looking at the Season 6 LVPs, that means Charles Widmore, if our math is correct, will wind up with a whopping negative eight points which ties him with <gasps> no, Mother. Nope, 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 nope. Okay, I take it back. I cannot give Charles Widmore two L- LVP points then. Oh, um, no, okay. No way. Um, okay, well, this is easy enough. Uh, I'll give Jacob an LVP. I'm going to give Jacob uh, an yeah. LVP. Uh, throw, throw some red meat to Riley uh, and the Rileys <laughs> of the world and make it so that the Mother remains the LVP of season six of Lost. I cannot be the one that pushes that across the line for Charles Widmore. And Jacob, uh, why to give him an LVP, LVP point? Well, technically, you know why, Mike? His ashes burn out and Jacob is dead, 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 dead now. Mm. Uh, and so a very- that, was, that was the original title of the season five episode, right? Dead is dead, 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 dead. Yet another very classic. All three of my final LVP points go to people who die in this episode. Uh, so let's close out my LVPs the way that I controversially kicked them off. Plus, as we spoke about, like his actual methods that he vocalizes are not great. Uh, so maybe that sort of is a culmination of everything that he has worked up to this point. So, yeah, because this is the end of Mark Pellegrino, right? Does he appear in the end? Nope, I can't remember. That's it. This is it. Curtain call. All right. Fa- farewell, Derwood Spinks. Uh, he ends up with a negative three. So then that being said, our bottom three, technically bottom four, the Mount Rushmore here for season six LVPs are Zoe and Dogen. Zogan tied at negative six, Charles Winmore at negative seven, and Mother at negative eight why what i will be very intrigued by josh is will charles winmore beat anthony cooper for the overall series lvp uh that is a great question and someday we shall find out the answer uh i don't think it will be next week that we find out the answer because next week mike we've got a lot to do it oh, is boy. oh boy the end we have reached it folks the series finale of lost which we are doing as a single podcast i expect it to be massive uh i expect that the feedback will be reserved for the season six feedback show probably will not be getting into the feedback next week because the podcast runtime is already going to be huge i believe we are currently sitting at somewhere between 15 and 16 sound clips uh we have two days reserved to record the episode so we will be doing it in two sittings Mike and I are going to be hydrating between now and then. Uh, we have a lot to get through. And, you know, if I started this podcast feeling verklempt, Mike, and start to feel emotional about the end of this thing, I am feeling, um, I don't know, ready, prepared. I feel like Jack after drinking the water. Let's, <laughs> let's fulfill our destiny. It has um, meant the world to me to, to get to go back and relitigate Lost. And there have been so many times along the way where I kept thinking, I, I think we might 
actually finish it. I think that we might actually be able to do this. I think we might consistently put out a podcast every week and talk about an episode of Lost every week. And we've done it, barring disaster between now and oh, then. Boy. Uh, so really courting disaster there. Um, but I'm just, I'm currently just filled with this feeling of extreme pride of us getting to this place. Not possible even a little bit without the Ben behind the curtain, without Brendan Fitzpatrick, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. without all of the other people who make the post-show recaps machine run, Maddie Z on the edit of this podcast, Jess Sterling running operations behind the scenes, the hatchlings, everybody who has contributed feedback along this is the like, way. This is like making an acceptance speech before you even won an award. No, like, we're not done yet. <laughs> I know we're not, but I want to take some space now to acknowledge everybody before we forget, because we're going to have so much to do. It's going to be an exhausting podcast next week and i want to make sure that people know that a lot of people mike and i do the you know do make the weird voices and the wacky words and we <laughs> have are you our talking insights, about and we're the, that wasn't quite we don't do any funny voices <laughs> that was count jacula uh the other guy i don't know who that was that wasn't quite no, that's tall and TSA <laughs> uh you know we're the ones who are on the mics but we are not the only ones who make this podcast there's a lot of people who are responsible for making down the hatch and that very much includes you out there listening to this so we're just grateful for all of you we are grateful for this moment the end is happening next week the live watch is december 20th at 8 p.m eastern in the post show recaps patron discord we hope to see as many of you there as possible consider signing up patreon.com slash post show recaps get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com in time for the the uh, season six feedback show which we will do with the new man in charge that will be uh, one episode of the podcast that comes out after the end and then we will go on a little bit of a break uh to recharge and get ready for what is coming next um follow us on the twitter bots as well at round howard that is moi at a mike bloom type that is Mike. Um, Mike, you've got a ton going on. I think I'll just sum it up by saying, go follow Mike on Twitter. He will tell you everything <laughs> he's got going on at a Mike Bloom type. Yeah, it's so interesting because to sort of talk about my feelings coming into coming into this week. I don't know. I know you feel a, a moment of acceptance, but like I just feel so odd about it. But I think loss meets you where you are, and I am at a very weird space right now where like during this particular week in 2021 so many things are ending and simultaneously starting at the same time you know survivor 41 which is something that i have been covering in length uh for months at this point to the point where again i did a four-hour podcast with rob cesarino last week it's finishing up this week if you are a fan of that uh i will be doing of course exit press with all the final five as well as the bnb with liana boris but then while all of this is coming to an end then there's other stuff beginning like the witcher which is premiering on friday december 17th angela bloom and i are going to be doing episodic podcasts we are doing them in two ways one of them is just a a nice simple spoiler free recap of the episode proper and then the second part of the podcast is going to be from the perspective of someone who has binged it all much like a typical netflix user would and we'll sort of look back on the episode of oh this is interesting how it plays into this how does it look back from the macro perspective versus the micro perspective uh with the premiere since we're going to try to put that out on the day it is released on friday we're not going to do the macro perspective We're just going to do a big, chonky recap of the premiere. But from then on, it's going to be super exciting. But yeah, 
I don't know. I, I sort of came to this realization when I was like walking the dog where I, for some reason it hits you at the random moments, right? Of, oh my God, we are at the end. Uh, it's, you know, an episode and a moment that will be forever seared in my brain of, I'm sure we'll talk next week about like who we were with, where we were when we were watching this episode. We will certainly talk about the reception at the time. I'll let you in on a little secret, Josh and Hatchlings. I know you said there was some trepidation about when you first approached me for this project, if we've never finished. I knew we'd always finish. Uh, I think given you and I, our commitments to the things that we love in particular, I mean, dude, you are someone who recorded 300 plus hours of a Survivor audiobook. Your commitment towards your craft and your passion is unparalleled, my friend. And I knew as soon as we got the wheels in motion, once we started recording that podcast, that we would eventually see the end here. I did not know how we would get here, but I knew we would. And I cannot wait to talk through it tomorrow. I cannot wait to watch it along with people as well. Uh, again, live watch, 12.20, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Do not miss it if you want to attend of all the lost watches, this is the one you want to go to, mostly because it's the last one, and we're probably not doing any, if many, ones after that. But hopefully we get to see some hatchlings there. Please write in your feedback. Write in your ratings. As soon as you hear this, if you have not written your stuff in, please do, especially for those fish biscuits for all the episodes, because not this coming week, but the next week, once we do that season six feedback show, that's when things are going to close up. And we'll be able to have a sanctified in stone rankings of everything. But oh, this feels odd. This feels really strange that the, the ashes are burning out on this uh, podcast. It will, it will take on another form, but like I am so excited to talk about the end. That's the other thing. Again, we're, we're putting the cart before the horse. We're counting the chickens, Mr. Clucks, whatever you want to say aphorism here. We got to get through the podcast first. We do. And we have a, we have a very, very long podcast ahead of us. We talk about the death of John Loki. We talk about the heart of the island being pulled out and then put back in. The final state of Jack Shepard and all the other characters, as well as all those wakens up on the sideways. Our waking up ranking, Josh, has been slim at this moment. Let's thicken it up a little bit with all of those wake-ups, which are going to be absolutely beautiful and then we'll finally get to close our eyes on the series. Oh my god, so that uh, that's all happening. Oh, here I am for Gwent again. Okay. Uh, uh, to, to, to all uh, uh, just change the subject. No, so super no, brand, no. super no brand. Nope, don't do it again. Uh, so to to everybody in 2021 listening to us live or wherever you are in time, whether that's sometime between uh, now and the year 3000, uh, we love you. We thank you, and we will mm-hmm. be back with our coverage of the end until then everybody take care bye-bye Go back down the hatch to say goodbye.
never had dreams we will get through the sadness Left you with so much madness, such as song. Hey, that's me. I'm the drill man. You know the drill. Oh, Jack and Hurley, Sawyer and Ben, Johnny Locke and Charlie Pace, Bernard and Rose, Kate, Saeed and Jin and Son, and the rest of the gang. We are gonna miss you tons. Down the hatch, you guys. Baby, it was so much fun. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.